Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 297, recorded live at LA PodFest with my guest, Murray Valeriano. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. I am not a doctor but I am hypochondriac. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Uh, go check it out. You can fill out surveys. Maybe we'll read your uh, anonymous survey here on the podcast. We read tons of them. Um, you can join the forum. You can browse it. Uh, you can support the show. You can buy books that we recommend. You can shop at Amazon through our search portal, and uh, that gives the show a little bit of money. Um, what else can you do at the website? There's something I'm I'm forgetting. I don't know. Maybe I should write it down. You know what? Who cares? This is this is the new carefree me. It's going to last about a minute till I panic. I, I sent my perfectionist angst on vacation. Uh, I actually sent it out to get cigarettes. It's going to be right back. Um, just a uh, note before this uh, this episode with Murray. Um, this. You know how anal I am about the sound. The sound on this uh, this episode with with Murray um, is is it's really good, but there something unplanned happened in the recording where I asked a question of an audience member, and so I gave them my microphone, and then the tech at the show handed me a third microphone, which didn't sound great. So for the rest of the show, I'm using this microphone that sounds a little wonky. And I tried to do as much stuff in post-production as I could to make it sound better. But um, maybe you guys won't even notice. But um, yeah, you're saying, Paul, this is too 
this is back-to-back episodes recorded live and there's an audio issue. Uh, is this a trend? Have you gone mad? I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see next week. Um, I know what it was that I, I wanted to mention. Um, we just taped this at LA PodFest a, a week ago, less than a week ago, and it's video as well. And if you want to see this episode instead of listen to it, and I think you're going to get more out of it seeing it because there's just a lot of nonverbal kind of stuff that adds to this episode, um, go to LAPodFest.com and uh, it costs money. Uh, the archive is up for 30 days. And you may even listen to this episode and say, you know what, I want to see it now. Um, I think it's one of the best episodes we've we've done. And uh, Murray really laid it all out there. Uh, I don't want to say anything more. Um but, um, so yeah. And if you're going to do that, use the offer code happy and you'll, you'll get uh, five bucks off. This is a survey. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey, uh, filled out by backstepper who writes about her depression. Uh, it's like eating the world's best ice cream without being able to smell how it tastes. The only thing you get from the ice cream are cold teeth and calories. That's a good one. Thank you for that. Bad Day writes about her sensory processing disorder. If life is a play, someone gave me the wrong script. Snapshot from her life. I came home after a long and overstimulating day and started crying because my brother was breathing too loudly. Boy, that has to be... I would love to have a guest uh, come on and talk about sensory processing disorder. I know we've talked about uh, misophonia and... uh, Have I had a guest talk about that? I don't think so. By the way, if there's a topic you're looking for, go to our website and type in uh, the keyword that you're looking for and do a search on our site and uh, episodes will come up and um, maybe even uh, guest blog pieces will come up too. So this was filled out by Chumbucket69 and uh, two very conflicting things going on in that name. Uh, 69, thumbs up. Chum bucket, thumbs down. Um, and they write about their depression. Uh, their uh, Chum bucket is uh, agender, and they write about their depression. Uh, wanting to email my professors that I want to take their quizzes later because of depression, but not having the energy or mental capacity. That That pretty much sums it up. That pretty much sums it up. Thank you for sharing that. Don't hug me. I'm scared, writes about uh, dissociating, studying, and suddenly realizing that this is my body and my life, and that I'm in my room and being totally shocked by the fact that I'm actually a person. Wow. That is, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that has to be like. I mean, I think we all space out. Um you know, drive past our exit, that kind of thing. But, um, wow, that is so intense. And this one is from uh, Living the Dream, uh, whose issues are anxiety, PTSD, and being a sex crime victim. And uh, she writes, perfect example of emotional neglect pervasive in my family, summed up in one text from my sister regarding my mom. She's at the end of her rope right now with dad. She's never home and she is losing it in more ways than one. Her best friend is really sick and she's upset about that too. She's fine though. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job. Mental illness. 
is convincing myself. I'm so alone. Why? Hypervigilant. I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. Then you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. Thank you so much for for coming. It almost counteracts uh, my bitterness of the fact that I've uh, in the smallest room for the third year in a row. I am at the podcasting version of the Thanksgiving kid table. And I know one year I will make it to the adult table. But uh, I'm so glad you guys are here. And it's nice to hear that you're uh, that you're excited uh, to be here. L.A. Podcast is just so much. It's just so cool. I was just saying to somebody, I really believe in like 30 years from now, we're, we're going to look back and say, that was like the Woodstock of, uh, of podcasting. And all those other fucks missed out on it. Yeah. But now here's the bad part. You'll be so old and senile, you won't have any memories of it. And it'll actually be just something that you bring up and then people mock you with. But then it'll fuck you up and you'll come on my show and be a guest. But I'll be so senile, I won't know what you're saying, and you'll change my diaper. So it's all gonna, it's all gonna work out. Um, I'm very excited to have uh, my, my guest. Uh, we play poker once a month. I never really, I don't think I'd ever met him until uh, we started playing poker. He, uh, very funny stand-up comedian. Uh, he's written for The Tonight Show. He um, is, uh, his podcast is called Road Stories, and USA Today picked it as one of the funniest podcasts out there. Uh, just an all-around great guy. Please welcome Murray Valeriano. I feel bad for you guys looking at me again. <laughs> How many Jesus Christ, didn't we just see him at 7 o'clock with Greg and Dave? Yeah. I, <laughs> I was kidding. You were serious. That was, that was awkward. What, what, uh, your podcast or somebody else's? Uh, my po- I did my podcast on Friday, and then I was on Walking the Room earlier today. Last minute. Thank you. That, I wanted Thank you. to see that, but uh, I was in my recliner. <laughs> and, don't worry, you were more comfortable than I was for the first 10 minutes, trust me. <laughs> How was it? It was great. It was a blast. You know, Greg and Dave have such energy and, and have known each oh. other for 25 years, man. You just kind of just got to sit back, let them do their thing, and then just interject. <laughs> like, you're like, when you get a break, you just yeah. drop it in. Oh, I've, I've been on there a couple of times, and it's like my favorite podcast oh, yeah. experience. They're, they're, and yeah. I've been, yeah. it's so great to, I was telling somebody earlier, it's great to really become friends with the guys I watched when mm-hmm. I was coming up yeah. and then you become friends with them yeah. they're older than me <laughs> so about can I, uh, can I just have a feng shui question here yeah this isn't good feng shui no. 
Is it? Right now, I'm going to do this all night, and I think my neck's going to. Right. This is kind oh, of weird, doing right? that. Yeah. Well, let's let's tilt towards is each that right? other a little bit. I don't Actually, think I, we've been this fifth year of podcasting. We still don't have the seating right. Let's do our backs to the audience, <laughs> like Miles Davis. Sure, you be Miles. I'll be uh, Jim Morrison. Yeah. And we'll, is that better? Is that all right? Um, no? Oh, that reminds me of Miles Davis. That reminds me of a terrible joke that I tried two or three times on stage. Very, it's offensive. So be prepared to be offended. I love um, this already. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and this is a fact, Miles Davis um, used to hit his wife. It, that's, that, and when I heard that, my first thought was, but was it to a really difficult time signature? <laughs> uh, oh, what a good music tried, theory joke. <laughs> I, I tried that in a comedy club uh, once, and uh, never, never again. Never again. But I'm sorry, that was a little self-indulgent. No, I, I like that. That's a good oh, joke. Oh, no, I love people quoting themselves. That's, uh, <laughs> it's funny you mention that. I had a joke similar. It, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but mine was more in common time. Yeah. <laughs> Couple of music theory people yeah. out there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Murray and I have gotten to know each other playing, playing cards once, mm-hmm. uh, once a month. Once and a month. Um, somehow the... Pu- subject of my podcast came up and I don't know if I said if you're ever interested in being a guest or I don't know if you're fucked up enough to be a guest and you basically said you know I don't really have anything I don't you know I'm just I I think it would be I think it would be boring to your to your audience yeah. and then as I got to know you um, <laughs> I found out that you were raised by a born again uh, Christian preacher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was your dad. Mm-hmm. And your first sexual experience was at fifteen with a woman who was thirty-two. Wow. Who was also my tutor. Yeah, your history tutor. History tutor. Yeah. 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 Uh, not as sexy when it's not in a uh, nineteen eighty-five movie starring right. a Matt, uh, whatever the fuck his name, Latasne <laughs> or. Oh, you didn't pull it. And yeah. I can't help you, and I'm sorry, and I know yeah. what you're talking about class. Uh, the is, movie class, right? No, 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 no. no. no this was my tutor, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, Sylvia Christel or whatever her name oh, was. Oh no, that yeah. was Emmanuel. Yeah. No, this was I think before she did that. Oh, that was before. It's really? So hard to remember the things I jerked off to when I was. <laughs> I know. A unless teenager. you could, unless you could blur yourself out. Yeah. And then I could remember. Yeah. Phase yourself out on Cinemax. Isn't that nice to know that I jerked off to something now that I realize was rape? Yeah, the my tutor. I mean, really, a fifteen-year-old kid. Right. Um, in fact, this will be a good thing to uh, talk about, not necessarily comedically, but the the double standard of um, how clear it would be if it was a thirty-two-year-old man and a fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. girl. Yet you switch it, and uh, so many people, myself included, until a few years ago, would have said, "Oh." Um, you know, it's it's different. It's a it's a boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, what are your feelings when you when you hear somebody say um, that? I don't know. You know, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I mean, when I think about it, it is fucked up. But um, at the time, you know, I was fifteen. You know, I was looking at the cheerleaders who wouldn't even look at me and be like, "What's up?" <laughs> I have a 32 year old who likes me, you know. But then I look back on it, and I'm like, "Oh, well, that's basically rape." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Um, it wasn't ever, it was found out, it wasn't ever handled legally or anything. So, 
Um, when was the first? By the you- way, I've never talked about this on yeah. any podcast or anything before. So, have you ever talked to another person about it? Damn it! Oh, yeah, tissues. Have you ever? Have you ever I'm not going to jerk off. <laughs> I got it out of my I system thought, with thought, the movie. I thought you were jerking off to my to my having sex with a tutor. Oh no, I'm going to do that later. Oh. I'm not going to do it in front of people. Oh no! I'm embarrassed. Worst case scenario with the bathroom with a small crowd, but not oh, not while we're live streaming. Oh, you think I'm fucking weird? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've jerked off thinking about my mom, but I'm not a fucking weirdo. Right. By the way, can I tell you my favorite mental illness happy hour deflection uh, <laughs> moment? Moment, and, you, and I've had three, and we'll bring them up later. Was when I think it was, I don't want to say her name, even though I guess you can go back and listen to it. Mm. You were talking to a female comedian, and she was talking about facials, and you said, Oh, like coming on your face? Yes. And she was like, What? <laughs> what do you mean? And then your backpedaling was, Oh. It was. Oh, it was like the Tour de France backwards. It was. And then you constantly beat yourself up for the rest of the hour, and I'm just like, buddy, I've been there. <laughs> you, I got so flush, and you could have cooked eggs on my forehead. That's, I was so embarrassed. She didn't know, she'd never heard of the term facial. So when I said, oh, you mean when somebody jizzed on your face, she was like, what? <laughs> oh, it was Laura Keitlinger. It was, it was yes. Laura Keitlinger. And, um... Who has a super dark sense of humor? I, know, I that's was the weirdest shocked. Part. She had yeah, never yeah. heard the the term. But, no, you're uh, in the right. Yeah, but but then she uh, <laughs> afterwards she was like, "Oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal." <laughs> it was great. But yeah, was awesome. I was panicked. <laughs> you know. Uh, so let's go. Let's talk about that that um, event. Okay. That happened. All right. Set the 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 stage. <laughs> how it happened? Yeah, how it came about. What. All right, so she was. Right, so from she what was, you remember? She was. Uh, she was part of my dad's church, and Aww. yeah. And now that I think about it, I guess she was kind of praying on me, ey, not ay. And come on, that was off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> deserved much more, uh, because I had this huge history project. This huge history project. She's like, oh, show my dad. I'll help him. Wow, I just figured that out just now. <laughs> what what what's going through your what are you nothing? What are you feeling right now or I, thinking? I'm thinking my I was more comfortable on uh, walking the room earlier. But yeah, you know, I guess you did kind of pray on me. I didn't realize that till just now. Look at me balling up. What else is this for good? <laughs> how's, how's this for comfortableness right now? <laughs> if, this, if this were a shower, you'd be crying in it. Yeah. <laughs> What are you uh, like right now at this moment? Uh, what if you could describe what you're what you're feeling? What do you what do you um, feel like? I don't know. I guess it's more fucked up than I really ever thought about it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's very emotional. I will, I will admit that. Um, like anger, sadness, confusion. Probably more confusion. Sad. Uh, I don't. I don't know how. It should have handled. I don't know how I should have handled it. I mean, when you're 15, you're super, you know, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, well, don't, I don't think the question how you should have handled it is even a question because you were a child. Yeah. I think all the responsibility is on 
the 32-year-old. Yeah. In our society, it's just hammered into our heads that from the time a boy gets a pubic hair, he all he wants is, you know, yeah. to have sex. Sure. And, um, and then you start talking to these guys when they're adults, and especially when, if they have a kid and that kid grows to be the age that that person was, that they were when it happened, and right. suddenly they see that innocence and it hits them. Um, I, I don't, I'm just... Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, thanks for taking that while I composed myself. That was an excellent hosting mm-hmm. part of you. Did you feel like you were going to cry? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a little emotional, yeah. yeah. I thought, oh, I thought that was obvious. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I... Um, <sighs> Yeah, I don't know what could have happened. I don't know what should have. You know what did happen is somebody told my dad. and uh, How did they find out? Uh, she, it was her friend. She told her friend. And um, she told my dad. The friend told yeah. your dad. And uh, they had a big meeting at church about it. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe that's the way to handle it. I don't know. And nothing was ever done to her? Uh, no. I don't think so. Um, she got kicked out of the church and then came back like two months later. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my youth pastor took me to McDonald's <laughs> to tell me the morning of. Huh. Yeah, I guess she probably should have probably been arrested or something. Or at least not given any more tutoring lessons. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And then I think she went on, I don't need to tell her story, but I think she went on to have an affair with somebody else in the church, I think I heard later on. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, I don't think I ever talked to her after that. It was a different time also. This was 80, yeah. what, seven or eight yeah. or something like that. And I, you know, there are movies about it. Right. You know, we're going to see movies, you know, with Matthew McCarthy. That's mm-hmm. who we're trying to think of. Mm-hmm. About him having sex with his friend's no, mom. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy yeah. right. Who's Matthew McCarthy? Yeah. Uh, you crossed him between uh, Matthew McConaughey oh, and right, Andrew McCarthy. Right, right. Andrew McConaughey. Andrew McConaughey. You know, there, there were a few. You think about it. There was Mike yeah. Tudor. There was Class. There was all these mm-hmm. movies about, you know, 15-year-olds having sex with their teachers or moms. So it was almost... Mm-hmm. I guess accepted. I guess I don't know. Yeah, the thing that I always uh, think about is it's it's two separate parts to it. It's yes, the boy wants to see um, the real life version of a naked woman, Mm -hmm. and he wants you know maybe to have an orgasm or you know to experience sexuality. But in reality, it probably dawns on that kid that this is way more than I bargained for in terms of intensity. And there's probably a little voice in their head when it's happening saying, there's something about this that doesn't feel right. Not necessarily wrong in the moral sense of they shouldn't be having sex, Mm -hmm. but in terms of, am I being tricked? Am I being... uh, We conflate those two things. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's horny... How could it damage him? But your body and your soul can experience two completely different things at the same time. You know, my mom gave me a creepy bath when I was 11, Mm -hmm. and I got a fucking hard on and felt like I was a monster. And only until I was 
you know, in my 40s could I realize, oh, that was just... Well, I didn't even know that, and I... I haven't had any really any therapy or, or anything like that, so I didn't even know. You, I learned that on your show about you can your body and your yeah. mind and your yeah. consciousness and your soul are completely different things. Yeah, and I never put that together. So for the longest time, I didn't think, you know, uh, she was that much in the wrong as much as I was. On top of it, plus you know, put on the fact that I'm a preacher's kid and this is happening in my dad's church, and she was married, and. uh I left that part out, sorry. <laughs> and a daughter my age. Wow. What, what, do, you, what do you think or Maybe feel? Maybe you're younger. You're younger. Sorry. What, what, what do you just think or feel when you hear the, the reaction? I guess I, I guess I never really... I, all right, so I grew up very strict Baptist church. My dad was a preacher. I went to church no less than four times a week. Wow. Um, was your dad John Lithgow? <laughs> Who's that? Footloose? Oh. <laughs> uh, let me tell you how much like uh, my life Footloose was. I wasn't allowed to see the movie Footloose. <laughs> oh my God, that is so making it into the opening montage of next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I forgot the question now. I'm sorry. Um, uh, you're uh, just talking oh, about so, the yeah, so I so you know I live I did all that for you know I, I went on missionary trips youth group shit like that and so when I like got out you know when I was like in my I don't know early twenties when I just like stopped going to church and I just, I haven't thought about any of that I just suppressed it all for the last <laughs> I suppressed it don't clap at that <laughs> every emotion I've had is just crammed crammed deep down so um but now i have a four-year-old so every time he does something cute i ball like a baby it all comes up <laughs> um so i didn't so now so i'm really just now thinking about that stuff and and really thinking about that incident and, and my whole upbringing too so i so hearing that your reaction to that is like fuck i didn't even i even got to that part yet <laughs> you know like i'm still processing what happened let alone the whole other stuff that goes along with it so i mean it's it's before we continue your childhood, um, <laughs> sure, let's just stop it right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll pick it up. No big deal. I, I'm, I'm interested to know what some of you think about what happened with with the tutor. Um, raise raise your hand if there's something that you want to share. Um, I had a similar experience. So, can you repeat yeah. what you said? Sit, stand. Oh, okay, great, thank you. Uh, yeah, Laura from Long Beach. Um, I have a very similar story. Um, I was not protected by my church community. Um, I did go through the courts. Um, how old was he and how old were you? Um, he was probably in his late 50s, early 60s. So, And I was from the time I was five until I was 11. I said something at school. I told my best friend. Child, child Protective Services got involved. They didn't tell my family right away, just in case they didn't believe me. And then um, I was taken into um, the police department. We ca we called him, and uh, you know they had they prompted me say this, say this, say this, and I did. And I couldn't hear him because we we're like sharing a telephone, and I'm like, you know, why do you do these things to me? Why is this? And I couldn't hear him. And I just had that like, why do you do this? And he's like, I don't know, but don't tell anybody, and I love you. Like I that like. 
and um, he had to pay for my therapy, but like, I would go back to church and he would be there. I remember walking Jeez. through the sanctuary and seeing his big back. Like he probably wasn't that tall, but in my and at that time he seemed so big and so scary, and like I just would freeze. And so I just stopped going to church for a while. But and then eventually at seventeen I stopped going. But when you tell your story and hearing that child was not protected, it's okay, the church got involved, but no, that woman should have been prosecuted. Yeah. You should have been protected. You should have been given therapy. You should have talked to somebody. I mean, to see, like, I just want to, like, as you were crawling up onto the chair, you know, I've had so much therapy. I want to go and, like, hold you and be like that. I'm 33 years old. Like, I'm that woman, and I cannot even imagine seeing you at 15 years old and having that, those types of feelings. Like, that woman is fucked up she has her own journey whatever but for you like that little boy like he needs to be held and told it's okay mm -hmm. you had nothing to do with that that was her fault and your body responded the way a mammal's body would respond but your poor little soul had couldn't fight mm -hmm. and i appreciate you saying that i really do you know it's it's i mean this is a safe place to cry i mean like we're all like we've all have the story we all have the journey and oh, I'm judging both of you. <laughs> and creepy. Listen here, facial man. <laughs> no, but you know, um, you know, you, ha you know, I, I've made the choice to not have children because for um, many of different reasons, and I, I see you as brave of making that choice and choosing to and uh, emoting so much for him and wanting to protect him and love him and. You know, he'll have an opportunity that maybe you didn't get to have. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how safe you felt at home with your parents or whatever, but, you know, I mean, typically when kids are super loved and feel super protected, they're probably not prey onable. Mm -hmm. You know, so. I got to tell you, the surveys that I read, almost every person that freezes mm -hmm. when something happens. Mm -hmm there was no validation in their home um, mm. of emotions. Right. Uh, it, it's almost without fail. It, it, I don't know how much of a link there is, but I've got to think there is. I've got to think there is. Can I, can I just, not to do uh, cross talk, right? Is that what you call yeah. it? Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know the lingo. I don't want to take your inventory, but... <laughs> I don't know, honestly, I don't know how to respond to you, but thank you. Can I hug you? Christ, I'm um, gonna be funny tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. And and I have to say, if if somebody is a survivor and you have never hugged or um, God, I hate the phrase beheld, beheld by another survivor is there anything that feels better and and safer than it it's it's the most amazing mm -hmm. amazing feeling i've never had anything ever happen to me mm -hmm. but my cousin um i won't say my name just because of that mm -hmm. um was 13 when she left uh, california to indiana and was, was raped at a party um she didn't tell anyone till three years later she told me because her parents she thought her parents, and they would, would, it's your fault because God wouldn't have done that if you were a good person. 
They sound like and that's great what parents. She told me. I gotta say, and I love my cousin. It just, it's. And how do you help someone like that when they don't want to say anything to anyone else? Mm-hmm. And so maybe like you could help explain that to people who don't understand, and they just want to be there for that person. Um. Well, the first thing is, is don't question what it was that happened. Well, what were you wearing? How much did you have to drink? That is the worst thing that, that you can do is just sit, hold their hand, say, if you don't feel like talking, that's fine too. Um, it's what they really want. And this is just my opinion. They want somebody to witness their pain. Mm-hmm. They want somebody to witness their truth and not judge it. The biggest fear I always have when I disclose what happened to me is that somebody is going to go, that's not a big deal. That terrifies me, absolutely terrifies me. And yet every time I do it, there's a voice in my head that says, you're a baby, you're an exaggerator, you're trying to be a part of this group that you're not a part of, you're just doing it you know, for sympathy, blah, 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 blah. And I've learned that I'm not alone in that. So just know when somebody sits down to tell you that, it is really fucking hard for them. And they're really scared because very oftentimes there has been a part of their brain that has been protecting them by telling them, this wasn't that bad. You chose to, to do this. And um, it, there is generally still a battle going on in their head about that. So I would say it's important to say, um, if you mean it, say, I, I want you to know that I, I believe you. Yes, that's, I think that's as good. And, and say, is there any way that I can help you? Um, I think I think those are the the big ones. There's a great organization called the Rape and Incest National Network, R A I N N dot org. You might refer uh, her to to that, and they very often have free counseling for uh, uh, people who have experienced sexual trauma. It doesn't matter; it could have been 50 years ago. Um, uh, so that that might be a, a good resource. But thank God she she has you. Yeah. But um, back to uh, back to Murray. Let's let's. Let's talk about... Um, Can I say something real quick, though? Yeah. What you were just saying, and I can't rem- remember exactly how you said it, because uh, you wouldn't let me talk. Um, <laughs> when you were just saying, like, oh, it's not as bad, you're just trying to go through the club, that was exactly what I was thinking just then. Really? Oh, it's not as bad as her. Yeah. I had a therapist say to me one time when I was doing that, uh, she said, Paul... I have had clients whose parents use them in child pornography where there was BDSM and they said the same thing that you said. And and that's when I realized, oh, it never it never ends. There is no until we decide. Right. Um, because ultimately, I think you have to separate whether or not something is prosecutable from what it is that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And just... Explore what it is that you're feeling and work on that and let that other part be its own separate thing. Because when you try to put the two together, you're waiting for some, you know, big um, epiphany to say, okay, now I can have compassion for myself. That, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's my two cents okay. on that. So go, go ahead. What were you going to say? I just said it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? So give me some, some moments from... Uh, from your childhood, you were you were born in Tennessee. And Memphis, then, Tennessee. 
Not just, oh, Memphis. I Memphis, thought you said yeah. not just Tennessee. I was like, oh. No, not just Tennessee. It's yeah. final resting place of the king of rock and roll, yeah. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you were raised in New Jersey? Yeah, we moved to New... Well, yeah, we moved around a lot. My dad being a preacher, we moved around a lot, and we ended up, I ended up mostly in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, how old were you when you moved from Tennessee? Uh, five-ish. Please don't ever make that noise again. <laughs> um... So most of your memories are, are from New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Most, most, we lived in Indiana for a little while, too. And yeah. So like Indiana, New Jersey, but yeah, yeah uh, mostly New Jersey is yeah. where, you know, like junior high, high school, yeah. college, stuff like that. Is this that. hard for you right now? Um, yeah, a little bit, sure. Yeah, you know, it's like... Uh, I haven't, you know, like I said, I never really talked. I never really talked. I joked about it. I never really put that, any of that in my act. I told you, I did. I did a one man show once, and I talked a little bit about it, but somehow I tied it into Tina Turner. And, uh, we all do. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only. And that was years ago. So yeah. So so yeah. So it's it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. Okay. Um, so give me some some moments from childhood that stand out to you as kind of uh, symbolic of. What your uh, of my childhood? Yeah, what your childhood was like. Uh, all right. How many kids? Uh, I have two older brothers okay. and two parents. Um, uh, I was thinking about this. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Jotting down notes and stuff uh, earlier today. Talking about, and I was thinking about this. Is this is kind of like this, I think this kind of encapsulates my childhood. I don't know if anybody ever go to church growing up or anything. Round of applause. Okay. There you go. By the way, I'm, I'm completely, I just started talking about it in stand-up, and I'm completely amazed at how much religion is ensconced in the States, man. It's amazing. Because I used to, when I first started out doing stand-up, I used to be really jealous of, like, John Heffron, you know, or Billy Gardell, because they were working class, you know, and I'm like, oh, those people, they can relate so much. Nobody's going to be able to relate to a preacher's kid, so I, did, I avoided it. And then the first time I did a joke about being a preacher's kid and everybody got it, I was like, what? <laughs> like, how do you know? But it's just because Christianity especially is just so disgusting. Yeah. So there's a... Uh, What's the joke, by the way? Do you, do you remember the first joke you did uh, about it? Yeah, but I just brought it back, too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about it. Uh, well, I, I talk about uh, everybody always... Uh, by the way, I don't expect anybody to laugh because this is not, you know, mm-hmm. comedy is timing and not mm-hmm. just... This is not the time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, everybody always gasps when uh, they find out I'm, I'm a, my, my dad was a preacher and they go oh, your childhood must have been so weird growing up but to be honest with you my childhood was just as normal as every one of your guys' childhood except uh, I probably didn't get as many toys as you guys got because my rewards are waiting for me in heaven <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about any of you but apparently when I die I'm getting an Atari 6400 so <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, all right. So there's this, this passage in the Bible called uh, uh, Jesus is like with his apostles or whatever, and they're fishing and they're they're not catching anything, and uh, and they're like, "Cry, help, help! We we want we want to catch fish." And he's like, "Oh, I can teach you to fish, or I can teach you to be fishers of men, right?" And uh, I guess it's to like spread the word or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, ten or eleven. My dad took me fishing, and uh, it was just like just chilling out fishing. And uh, he's like, Murray, you having a good time? I'm like, yeah. He goes, me too. How do you think we can be fishers of men? And I remember thinking, 
can we just go fishing, man? <laughs> can we just yeah. fucking chill out and fish for like an hour and not have to, not have to do this? Yeah. It's, did if, if I imagine it always felt like your dad was only partially there then. Yeah, you know, I really do. And, no, and listen, I, I, and I don't like to talk because uh, my dad's not here to defend himself or whatever and, and my dad and I have the, the best thing I ever did was move 3,000 miles away from him and we're super close now and like yeah. we were, I was talking to my friend Darcy earlier it's a I, I equate it to the pendulum theory where because he didn't grow up in religion he was a navy guy drinking and starting bars in Okinawa and then he found God and so the pendulum went whoosh, to the mm-hmm. other side and then he's kind of settled right here you know so, um, so yeah but I, I do think that the church came first over, and I don't think I've ever told him that, but I do think the church came first in our family. And I think there was probably so much less awareness for that generation about kids' needs, and and yeah. they probably didn't, as kids, they their needs probably weren't really. Oh yeah, my everything. dad. My dad's father was abusive. My yeah. dad, and then it turns out that like when we were twenty five, like we found out that like my grandfather wasn't. I don't know if I should tell that. That's my dad's story, but yeah, he wasn't from a good household either. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know, you know, parenting, I don't know if there's any parents in here. It's, you know, it's on the job training. So it's trial by fire. I can't imagine how, how hard it has to be. What, uh, what was your relationship? You're saying that you have a great relationship with your mom these days. You just had a really good. I just, I just had the best experience with my mom. Like a couple months ago over spring break, she came and uh, helped me out with my son. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 about that is so moving uh, to no, you? No, no, it was just good. We talked about everything. <laughs> we talked about everything except the tutor. <laughs> <laughs> now we talked about a bunch of stuff that happened, and we're able to clear a lot of the air. And my mom is a very uh, ignorance is bliss type person, self admitted. Yeah. And uh, so it was good to talk to her about stuff. Did you remember some particular things that uh, came up or were said, or that you felt or thought? Um. Just the kind of stuff with my dad and stuff, because we're very, uh, very abusive relationship. You and your dad, yeah. How how so? Um, oh, just well, well. First of all, we're Italian, and uh, a lot of anger. So I, I had two older brothers, and I was the youngest. So I used to get the crap beat out of me every day. So um, we just literally just it was just a fist flying house. Really? Oh yeah. My mom had to put a uh, wood paneling on the walls. <laughs> To hide the holes from fists and heads, like Brady Bunch wood paneling, like in like '87, so abusive and embarrassing. <laughs> no, it was just it was. I mean, like my oldest brother's eight years older than me. I got uh, uh, like three years older than me, and it was a very, uh, you know, it was just like all right, we were not really allowed to show a lot of emotion, especially anger. So, you know, you just stifle all that down, and then where does that come out? Except for when the parents leave, and you leave three boys left alone to beat the crap out of each other. So. And you were the youngest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still so young. you just must have got the shit kicked out of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally. Did you fear your brothers uh, less than your dad? Um, probably equally, my oldest brother and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I think my dad's dad was very abusive to him also, and I think that kind of trickled down. And, uh, yeah. Do you ever remember having uh, a conversation with your mom about 
her being interested in what you're feeling or what you're experiencing or I think that just this past spring break was why, why, was why it was so good is that that's yeah. the first time we ever really really talked about it and yeah. um, it, w- it was I mean my brothers and I have talked about it. my dad is and I have my dad's apologized a hundred times you know a thousand times you know that's great yeah um, but my, like I said, my mom, again, she, this is her words, uh, ignorance is bliss. She was, and she was, you know, and her thing was always, well, you didn't have as bad as other people, you know, kind of stuff. And, uh, so I remember one time I, my dad had hit me in, uh, the night before and, uh, and by the way, just getting on back to the, the teach, like very anti-sex, you know, and cause it's church and it's Christian, you don't have sex till your marriage or anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom was like, she looked at my neck, she's like, Murray, she's from the South. Murray, do you have a hickey? And I was like, no, nah, that's where dad hit me. Wow. So she was like, oh, okay. And then she went back to cooking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to shit all over my mom here. I don't want to. No, the wanna... fact that you're, both of your parents have acknowledged that mistakes were made, that to me is the... The hugest thing. I I think every parent is going to fuck up. Oh, absolutely, No matter man. what. Dude, I, look, I got a four-year-old man. We, I just... Fuck, it's so hard, man. I'm telling you. And it's not hard. hit him in the neck? It's, he, it's, he's a big dude, and he asked for it. So... <laughs> but it's it's hard, man. It is. And, 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 and then being... I don't... My, 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 my wife came from a very hippie, dippy, like left wing, you know, no, there's no, like she never got spanked or anything. She barely even got yelled at. So we're just like, you can be two opposite ends of the parenting spectrum. You know, now I know and I can see how my parents probably differed on, on their parenting styles. I'm sure, you know, so I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to literally come together and, and, and I think, and it's actually one of my fears is that I'm. I'm overreacting to how my parents raised me. Does anybody here feel like Murray is overreacting to? <laughs> well, with my kid, you know, like when, especially when it comes to disciplining my child, am I not disciplined enough because I don't want to go down the route that my dad went? And whenever somebody tells you when you have a kid, you're like, oh, your life changes, but they don't tell you how. You know. <laughs> well, tell us how. Tell Fuck. us how long is this podcast? Christ, <laughs> I mean, it's like think about it. like you. Every, every like self-centered thing that you think about yourself and, and want everything you want, it, like that we're born with that. We are born self-centered. We are born like me, me, mine, give me all about me, make me happy. And you have to, it's like breaking a horse. You have yeah. to, you have to break that. You know, yeah. you have to teach that kid. That is, that's look, and I, well, I can go without the sleep, and I can, you know, and all that shit. But that's the hardest thing, man. Is like, you, you know, he's not being a bad person. He's being a human being. You know, and yeah. human beings, kind of selfish people. Yeah. And so you got to teach him that, like, everything you think is right, including crapping in your pants. Like you, yeah. you that's not how we do it. So you got to teach him. <laughs> Yeah, you all basically all our instincts are wrong. Yeah, is that healthy? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, give give me some more uh, moments from childhood or adolescence that you that you remember. Uh, could you be a little more specific? Could you ask me a little more directed question? Um, you gave us a snapshot of uh, fishing with, okay. your, with your dad. Um, what was school like? Uh, school. I went to Christian school. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it was basically, I remember, I remember, I remember my dad asking, asking me like why I didn't want to go to church. And I was like, I just want everybody else gets the weekends off. And I'm just like, I just want the weekend off. I was, I was eight. <laughs> did, did you? Cause it was, cause it was literally, it was Sunday school, Sunday morning, then church, then church Sunday night, then Monday through Friday, Christian school, which had Bible and chapel. Youth group, youth group activity on Saturday, roller skating. We go the, like the three, devil's wheels. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, I guess like three churches would get together and like rent out a roller skating rink, and then they would go roller skate for two hours, and then they'd shut everything down and have a sermon. <laughs> try and try and get your friend to go to that again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it it sucks because I don't think believing in a God is a bad thing. It me actually absolutely, it absolutely helps me, but organized religion so often is just so horrible, oh, yeah. and it gives God such a bad name. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree 100%. And I would never deny anybody their happiness with with a god or a cry you know or anything man i mean like i remember my my mom came very close to dying a few years ago and and when i went up to see her in the ER, she was like i i thought i was gonna die and i wasn't scared and i'm like i will never take that from anybody you know yeah i would never want that to, to be taken away from anybody um what what do you think or feel when you hear somebody quoting the bible do, do you have any kind of reaction like to a rash or yeah, i mean what do you what do you i suppose it depends on the person fists what, what? i suppose it depends on the person <laughs> quoting it and what they're saying i don't but... hear a lot of people quoting the bible lately i've i've i i haven't got i haven't gone to church in a, a long time I, my dad like why don't you go to church i'm like i banked my time man <laughs> I, I could take a few years off yeah so i I don't. I don't know. It's like I've been looking through the Bible and reading stuff because working out uh, stuff on my new hour. And uh, I, I don't know, man. It's such a pick and choose religion. You know what I mean? It's just such a pick and choose. We like this and we like that and we like this and you leave all the stuff. And I don't know. I remember talking to somebody. I'm like, you really think Noah's Ark happened? Like, don't you think like maybe there was a flood and a guy built a boat, but it was only like a flood for like a couple miles around, but it's just that's all they knew. So they're like, oh my God, the world is flooded. Right. You know, it's just because they don't really have the internet, so they can't right. tell the weather patterns. Right. They're like, no, it happened. Really? <laughs> you think an, a fruit fly that has 24-hour lifespan flew from America, <laughs> which wasn't even America then. Yeah. I don't know. I just, to me, it doesn't. So, but people just believe it uh, like, uh, like 100%, man. And what the, what the thing that bothers me is they don't necessarily believe the Bible. They believe the guy Telling them what's in the Bible. Yeah, that's the part that, and that's why your your aunts and send those stupid internet <laughs> memes. You know, like yeah. you know, Christ sailed over on the Mayflower or whatever. Look, look and, at, uh, the, the teachings. I have, are, that's okay. twice I said that this weekend, and I don't know if I made that up. So if I'm yeah. quoting somebody else's joke, I have yeah. to apologize. <laughs> I think the teachings of, of Christ are beautiful, and that, yeah, but know, they just completely gloss over it. Yeah, they do. They do. It's. But yeah. I, I don't want to uh, yeah, just hear and, sure, and, no, and no. bash organized religion. I want to know more about. Let me do that about you and your and your perfect childhood. Um, 
So, um, and I was overweight. Were you? No, I'm just throwing out my perfect childhood. Uh, what was? Did you go to a Christian school for high school too? Uh, no, no, I went. Why I'm talking about? Excuse me, I went to a Christian school in Indiana, and then New Jersey, which was they're basically in a church. Is what they are. Somehow they get accredited by. Where in Indiana? Uh, a little town called Argus, which is near Fort Wayne, uh-huh. by Crackers mm-hmm. Comedy Club. <laughs> Comedy Club. Wait, no, it's not Crackers. Is it Crackers? Oh no, 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 Snickers. Is it Snickers? Yeah. Is that Kathy? <laughs> is that Kathy Ladman? I only know Jokers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dayton, Ohio. It, 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 yes, across yeah. from the strip club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, so then I didn't just like jerk, like just open like going to a, a public school in New Jersey, which is basically literally where they shot The Sopranos. So it was just, you know, I went from a school of 150 kids to a class of 200 kids. So it was just talk about nerves, man. And New, and New Jersey kids. And New, yeah, New Jersey kids. Not very tactful. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm in there. I still got my southern accent saying, y'all fixing to give you eat lunch? Oh, and they they're like, we're fixing the, the fuck, fuck out of you. <laughs> I want to beat the fuck out of you just here. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you emotionally? Um <laughs> But you never ran out of hair cream being there. <laughs> no, no. Moose. Does anybody even use the word hair cream anymore? <laughs> Am I 90? I don't know, Grandpa. <laughs> hair um, cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need a... Can I get another sarsaparilla? <laughs> <laughs> we so, called it moose in New Jersey yeah. in the 80s. We called it moose. So, um, is fair to say high school wasn't uh, that exciting? Nah, high school isn't very. Who's, 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 who said, like, if you enjoyed high school, you're the reason why the rest of us hated it? That's <laughs> fantastic. Whose joke is that? That's mine. But, uh, is it? <laughs> yeah. I don't like to quote myself. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just such an eye opener because I went to such a, a private school. Like, I, I would, like, kids would, like, talk back to the teacher in a hop, and I was like, what? You're saying that without getting knocked off your chair? Like, I couldn't believe people would. You know, even I mean, like then that followed me up through my twenties. You know, just like the way people actually talk, and you know, and when, the way women talk, like oh my god, they're talking about sex. This was like twenty two. You know, I'm like I didn't know women talked like that. So when you had that experience with that tutor, that must have been like so overwhelming to you on so many different levels. I mean, how you must have felt about yourself in addition to the confusion, right? And the intensity of it sexually, you must have just felt like you were the worst person in. The I honestly world. felt like I was the worst person my whole life, to be honest with you, because everything I was into was wrong in their eyes, in the church's eyes. Comedy, music, big music fan. You know, I, I went. I went to. I went to anti rock rallies. Oh my god! <laughs> I forgot. It. Yeah, I went to anti rock rallies, man. Oh, well, hold on. What was a great moment? Oh, there was a uh, Pat Benatar has a song, uh, Hell is for Children. And one, and one of the girls, and I forget, but she like raised her hand. She's like, I saw an interview with Pat Benatar, and she says that's about child abuse. And the guy goes, Hell is for everybody, and breaks the album. <laughs> he would have dropped the mic if he had it. <laughs> oh, my God. So. 
any moments from uh, high school other than the one that you shared with us at the beginning with the with the the tutor uh, that were good or bad or that stick out in your mind as um, well, nothing as traumatic as that, I guess. You know, you know, it really, you know, it really or, sucked. Or something that kind of moved your soul and gave you hope, or made you see the world differently, or made you see yourself differently, or turned a light bulb on. Any, you know, what, you know, and this might sound lame or whatever, but you know, what it really saved me was music. Do you remember the first, the <laughs> first band? Yeah. Well, I remember. I remember in Indiana going to school and young, like first grade, and uh, Let It Be came on. Oh, I love that. And my dad, and my, I remember t- asking him, I'm like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> I remember asking, I don't remember what he said after that. But I wasn't allowed to have any music, obviously. So I would just, whatever, when, once I was able to like get into a radio or anything, I was just ravenous, man. I was just, I would. You know, the 80s were really good for, it was a good transition era for the, the uh, classic rock, and it was a good uh, for alternative and, and really left of the dial stuff, so I was just, I was just, anything I could get, like I would discover like a, uh, uh, like a, a heart album when they had their comeback in the 80s, and then I'm like, oh my god, seven more albums before, you know, and then yeah. I would just go, and I went back before I went forward. So it was like was the like, first Netflix yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So that was really a saving grace, and I was able to find friends who, my friend Rich, I'm still friends with today. And you know, just, do you remember what bands you bonded over? Rich was a big ACDC fan. Uh, we bonded over the Beatles. Obviously, they're my, still my favorite band. Uh, he loved Iron Maiden, but I hated the way he pronounced Iron Maiden. How do you pronounce it? Iron Maiden. Can you hear that? Because to this day, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking Like I'm like, you're saying it wrong. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's Iron Maiden. He's like, Iron Maiden. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, we, we used to sneak off to concerts. To, he didn't have to sneak, but I would sneak off to the concerts. And I'm so bummed, like I never bought t-shirts because I couldn't, I didn't want any evidence. So I'm, yeah. I have all these great Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff I could have got and oh. all this stuff I didn't have. But I got those memories. So it's And you great. got to see Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I got to see Stevie Ray Vaughan right before the helicopter crash. And he opened for Robert Plant. And Robert Plant had a hard time following him. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan was like the most amazing showman. Yeah. And then that was when Robert Plant was writing lyrics like, I was pumping iron and you were pumping irony. <laughs> Right? The worst lyric ever, right? Now and Zen. Look it up. <laughs> well, actually, Now and Zen, pretty awful also. Is, is there a song that, um, when you hear it come on now, kind of reminds you of that feeling of discovering freedom in, in music? Oh, man. I don't know. I feel, like that, I feel like that discovery. Or a band. I feel like the discovery of freedom is, I, I, could, I still feel it. I could still be turned on to it off a new song. You know, I can just, there's a, I, there's just something great about turning a song up on the, on in the car mm-hmm. and rolling down the windows. I actually, after that song's over, I turn it down just so I can turn it back up again when another song comes on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. There was a song, I I, and, and this is not going to, this song does not change the world at all, but Kings of Leon had a song called Sex on Fire. Mm-hmm. About six years ago, and I used to go up in the morning and go surfing, and K Rock plays the same 10 songs exactly the same time every day. Yeah. And I would get on the 10, and that song would come on and roll down the just, just floor it down the 10. Yeah. 
I have listened to, uh, Murray and I were talking about this song before we started recording, but I, in the last two days, I've listened to the Rolling Stone, Stones song, Can't You Hear Me Knocking, probably 50 times, and I keep rewinding it to that opening 10 minutes, <sighs> that uh, 10 seconds. Not only the opening riff, but how Charlie Watts is so behind the beat, yeah. he, he almost misses it. Like, yeah. he couldn't be any more behind the beat. And it's just so, everything about it is just I want to say it, perfect. three seconds. By the way, the greatest riff in guitar in rock and roll ever. ever. Can't you hear me knocking in at three seconds in? You can hear Matt go, yeah. Yeah, it's the best. Right, it's the, the best. right it's a guitar break. I think it's three yeah. seconds in. Yeah. Hold on, I have it. I was going to play it on my phone. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's listen to the Stones now. I don't want to stop talking. Um, <laughs> so what's the next period of your life that you feel uh, is kind of important or has some moments that you, you want to share or talk about? Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, it had such a, an interesting... I did. I, I really, again, I'm just starting to really look at this stuff. So it's, it's really just really fresh to me. And I, and I realized, like... I was talking again. I was talking to my friend Darcy earlier, and I, like my first apartment I had, I had for two years. None of my friends saw the inside of it. Why do you think that is? Because I had no uh, time to myself. I had no anonymity because my dad was the town preacher, and so like I, like I had no. My parents didn't trust us, so I could never shut my door to my room. I had two older brothers who never <laughs> give you your space anyway, and then everywhere I went in town. Somebody from my dad's church was there. So I had, like, everywhere, like, I remember just having to go down to this place we called the Sand Pit just to, like, smoke a cigarette or whatever, do whatever a 16-year-old did. So I, everywhere I went, there was a Jersey, we go to diners after everything, and uh, I befriended one of the waitresses. And, do, like, I would come in on a Friday night, and she'd be like, people from your dad's church are in the booth on the uh, why, why don't you go sit over there, buddy? So... <laughs> So and so I just think that I just shot I think that really caused me and I still have that problem too. I still have that problem too, especially, you know, just like opening up to my wife, I just shut down for so long and you know, just really shut off all of my twenties. Turned every I like turned like I didn't even think about my childhood or religion for having my kid is what really made me start thinking about it again. You know. Boy, I bet you were gonna have so many moments as your kid grows up where you're gonna see things either differently or uh, more intensely, maybe, um, than... Maybe. It's pretty intense you know, now. I, well, I, mean, I hear parent. people that have kids say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly I, people that had, had tough, tough childhoods. Yeah. And I try not to be the, you know, because I, I, you know, I started late in life with the kid and ended late. I'm not having any more. But uh, I try not to be the dad who's like, oh, my kid, you know, look at picture. You know, I try not to be that guy. But you, you, Thank you. you. <laughs> From the bottom of my heart, thank you. It's so you should hear him say thank you. It's adorable. I have a picture of him say. I have a video of him saying thank you. It's no, I'm just kidding. I don't. Alu Bell texted. Do you do you feel like? And this is the last question I'm gonna I'm gonna ask about this because uh, there's there's part of me that wants to know more about the situation. Yeah, you can ask me whatever you want, bud. But there's also part of me that that. Because it's so fresh, the, mm-hmm. the new perspective that you have on it is so fresh, um, I, I want to be respectful. Sure. Um, well, listen, I, I, I will say this to what I tell everyone. I'll, you can ask me anything you want, and just don't be upset if I politely decline to answer it. Okay. Okay. Um, did you, as you look back on it now, were there any ways that you 
notice that you changed after that happened? After the thing with the tutor? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. Changed. I, know you're, I mean, you're changing every day at, at 15, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what is a repercussion of it or what is natural or what was suppressed or, mm-hmm. or, or what. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe it might be too fresh on my uh, yeah. recollection to really think about it because honestly I'm thinking about I'm remembering stuff that I haven't thought about since probably it happened so like, was, for instance uh, I lost my job at Burger King that day um, we got she, she bought a big bottle of Ernest and Julio Gallo and we drank that she did she buy that before it, it yeah so to loosen you up I guess you know, yeah, yeah. I look back oh on, I don't yeah. think there's any I guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah. maybe I'm wrong but I that's know. how I I mean she, is I think as we're hearing this, we're like, wow, she's a straight up fucking predator. Yeah, yeah, and I never honestly, I never thought of that until just now. I thought we were going to talk more about being a preacher's kid. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's exit theater. It was horrible. And but I mean, imagine off. a thirty-two-year-old man bringing a jug of wine uh, to a fifteen-year-old, um, and her suggesting that she's going to be the one to to tutor him. You know, that's. That that's normally when Chris Hansen pops out. Yeah. 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 This is a hotel room. She rented a hotel room. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Do you, were you outside the Holland Tunnel? Outside the hotel. Holland were? Tunnel. Outside the Holland Tunnel. Route oh, nine, okay. I think. Yeah. Anyway. Do you remember what you were thinking or feeling leading up to it and then what you were thinking or feeling after? I remember being really scared. <laughs> I remember... Scared beforehand? Yeah. I was like really nervous because I, I don't know. Had you ever had an orgasm? Uh, prob- yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I never had sex with another, obviously. I never had, but I remember, I, yeah, I was very, oh man, yeah. I remember, yeah, I was very nervous and... When did she? Uh, when did you know that it was going to be sex? With uh, I don't know because she just said we we're just going to hang out and maybe and like sleep off the wine or whatever, if I remember correctly. So I don't really know when it was. So she out. gave you wine and then she got the hotel room. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I think so. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, this is where I go up in a ball again. Yeah. <laughs> This has to be really fucking hard for you to be sorting through this. Like, I'm trying to imagine what it's been. In front of 50 people, yes. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I just want to really thank you for oh. um, being so vulnerable. Uh, in, in uh, no, no, don't, please. I don't want that. <laughs> no. I know that makes you uncomfortable, but it's. Um, Save it for Saturday night when I'm at the improv, 8 o'clock. <laughs> Tickets at murrayvaleriano.com. <laughs> Do you, um, so you don't, you, those are the things that you remember about the, any other things that you remember? About that incident? About that incident. No, not off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not off the top of my head. And you can't really recall afterwards if there was any change in you in terms of how you viewed yourself or the world or sexually, um, how you felt about yourself or looked at women or no, not really. I mean, I, no, again, you know, you're 15, you're changing all the time. And yeah. 
yeah, I don't, I don't know that what was more different either before was, or after. You know, who was the first person you shared it with? <laughs> well, uh, that woman shared it with my dad, so he, she beat me to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe uh, I don't know. I don't honestly remember. I mean, we never, like, I got confronted, mm-hmm. and then that was really the last was we talked of it. Was any blame put on you by the your parents? Um, I don't remember any blame being put on me. Um, I remember, yeah, I, you know, don't don't see her again. That's really, I don't, I don't think any blame yeah. was really put on me. I think they probably could have put a little bit more on her. Yeah. Now that I think about it, but I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, and I don't remember who the first person I told was. And then I guess I guess after I suppressed it for so long, and then I could, make, you know, I told my wife obviously, and we and we make jokes about it. And there is that kind of like, you know, especially with all the teacher thing going on right now, and you know, all the hack comics are like, "Well, why wasn't that happening when I was a kid?" You know, that's so infuriating, and all that stuff. And it's just like, man, you know, that that could really. I don't know what damage it did to me, and um, apparently, it did more than I thought. Just talking to you, um, but yeah, it's not, yeah. They kind of it, uh, those jokes always kind of infuriated me even before yeah. I realized, you know, that maybe it did do a little more damage to me than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Is do you ever struggle with uh, intimacy or feeling I don't know like trapped in the responsibility of a relationship or having you know the responsibilities of being committed? Um, yeah, to somebody I, definitely. I mean, I yeah, and I don't know what that's from, but I mean, even you know, just. Uh, you know, I shut down for so long, I wouldn't let anybody in. It was, they had a, a bunch of comics got together and had a roast for me, which is so stupid. I don't know why comics do that unless they're famous. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but, like, nobody could write any jokes because they didn't know me. These are my guys I'm traveling on the road with. And they're like, whoa. We don't really know you. You know, yeah. so just shutting down. And even I shut down. I had a... I got booked on something some tv show for the fall and i just got a, a email the other day that it got pushed and i was really bummed and i didn't tell my wife i dude i i get it that's that's the place i've always gone to and a lot of people i know and I, i'm not saying it's directly related to this but you see it from the books i've read and mm-hmm. my personal experience is that that we tend to go, survivors tend to go one way or the other. We either become super sexually promiscuous mm-hmm. um, or completely emotionally and sexually shut down and often swing back and forth hmm. between the two periods of, you know, what they call anorexia and then periods sure. of, of uh, promiscuity. But letting people in is really, really hard. We'd rather just go lick our wound in the corner and try to figure it out intellectually by yeah. ourselves. That's And my wife, she's so awesome. Like when I did tell her, she's like, I want to know this stuff. You know, yeah. I wanna, I wanna she was supportive. You. I want to I wanna know that. I want to know yeah. why you're so pissy and dowdy, you know, and dowdy right now. Tell me. That's why I'm here. So she's super cool that way. Hopefully she'll put up with me for a little while longer <laughs> until I figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's so important to have people on your team when you're sorting through through all that stuff. Our um, guest that was, was talking uh, earlier, sharing her experience, who did you have in your corner when you were um, healing uh, from it? Um. <clears throat> As a kid, I didn't say anything until I had my first friend at 10, and that's who I told. And she was my everything. And then within 
within one year I had the boyfriend, the anorexia, the um, the just over sexualization, me trying to take my power back, and so it was just a really unhealthy me trying to grab onto anybody or anything to kind of piece it together. Um, my grandma was kind of there, but she was like that religious, don't talk about anything, stay away from boys. And it was very, very conflicting because I moved in with her after my last physical fight with my biological mother. And um, so I was really fucking lonely. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, I you know, went through a few awkward phases, decided I was funny, and then I just played that role you know Mm -hmm. and so i kind of had people as long as you were laughing at me i was good and it i mean i'm sure you you guys understand that and um (laughs) (laughs) if you put in the word attempting i can relate to that (laughs) attempting struggle laughing totally um and then drugs and alcohol okay i I started drinking at 12 and drugs at 14 so so. pretty much the classic the classic way that Absolutely. survivors survivors respond. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we do some uh, trade some fears and loves? Uh, no, honestly, I'm much I'm much better if you ask me. I don't know what to. Okay. Um, um, if there's any, again, would, would, does anybody have a question they'd like to ask uh, Murray? Oh, Phil Donahue style. <laughs> That's for the hair cream comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then let's go. Uh, let's do some fears. Okay. Some oh, fears, can I fears hold on? Lives. I made some notes. Yeah, I forgot what I wanted to. I'm gonna. If I have any, I'll throw. Uh, I'll throw some in. I'll I did some, I did some notes for. Uh, I wanted. There's a couple things I wanted to share with you. Oh, there's you the letter. Read, read the letter. Oh, wow. <laughs> this letter. I got this letter two years ago from one of the my old. I think she was my old Sunday school teacher. Um, I got it via Facebook. I hadn't talked to her in twenty. 20- this is, and this is not the the history tutor. No, no, no. This is a this is a, a Sunday school teacher. Yeah, they would never do that. <laughs> You've never read the surveys, I'm yeah. not sure. No, plus yeah. me, I've I've got a good idea okay. of who did that yeah. in my church. Uh, I haven't talked to her in twenty five years. This, and she saw she saw it. This is comics will relate to this in the room. She saw a, a clip of mine, and my first response to it was, "Well, that's an old clip." Yeah. <laughs> I punched it up. It's much funnier now. <laughs> so I get this via Facebook. Uh, her name is so-and-so. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't heard from her in a long time. Hi, Murray. Hope all is well with you and your family. Just caught a video you did bashing your father. All I can say is, what are you doing? Was your upbringing so bad that you have to break his heart? I'm, I'm sure... Hold on. I'm sure it's living out there to... I'm sure it's hard living out there not to get swept away by the Hollywood mentality... Which sounds like you already have. You don't have to agree with all your parents' views, but stop making fun of them and stop throwing mud in Christ's face. Wow. Signed, Conti McConty. <laughs> I wasn't going to say her name. I wasn't going to say her name. Which is so, if you see the, and I got I really wish I could get this clip down because I don't like it. But... <laughs> Young comics don't sign a contract without reading it, especially online. <laughs> but it was, it was, and my dad, by the way, loved that joke, uh, yeah. this joke that was up there, and it had nothing to do with, and that, to me, that says so much about m- my lack of anonymity as a child, because they think they know my father and his family, because he's basically, and I've told it, he's basically a celebrity. 
in this church and you think you know celebrities because you see them on the TV every So my dad goes visits them. They think they know everything about them and everything is hunky-dory as it is at everybody's work. Rarely do you bring the shit with you to work. So they don't know what's going on. In, uh, so I wrote this back. Uh, <laughs> what's up, Conti McCuntface? <laughs> Uh, I read your email the other day, and I thought of many responses, including ignoring you and not responding at all, but this is what I decided. First of all, <laughs> first of all, that's an old clip. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> but I stand by my material uh, 100%. Hold on, the light's a little fucked up. Uh, that bit is far from bashing my father. What am I doing? I'm crafting a stand-up act that is based on my truth and my experiences in life. That's the kind of comedy I like. As far as my upbringing, it was just that. It was my upbringing. You don't know what went on in my house. You only know what you saw on Sunday mornings. Just like I don't know what went on in your house, and I don't even know what your dad did for a living, as a matter of fact. As I write this, my dad sits across from me playing with my son. <laughs> Sorry. This wasn't supposed to take this turn. <laughs> this is supposed to be funny. <laughs> I got some good shit in here. This is supposed to be funny. He said a crap play for my son, Frank. Jeez, I can't even get through this. God damn it. Sorry. Uh, say for my son, Frank. Uh, cross for my son, Frank, who turned to yesterday. Frank, by the way, named after my father. Uh, is that the father you hate? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Why do you think I named my kid Frank? Uh, hearts are far from broken, but thanks for speaking for my father. I'm sure he appreciates it. The Hollywood mentality thing is a stereotypical buzzword Christians love to throw around. Cunty McCunt face. <laughs> you don't know me, and I don't know you. You've just judged my whole life in two minutes of a clip from seven years ago. <laughs> again, again, I've done other material. <laughs> So 20 years from now, when you, look up me, when you look me up again, try having a discussion instead of trying to lecture a 40-year-old man like he was 12 year old, a 12-year-old in Sunday school, uh, Murray. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Uh, sent, delivered, and approved by my father and mother. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But... Isn't it nice that she took time out of her day to project her bullshit onto you? <laughs> and she hasn't responded. Yeah. 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 And I think she deleted my friend request. <laughs> I have no idea. Let me see how we are on uh, yeah, totally. time. Thank you. Sure. Uh, give me a fear. Okay. Can I just give you one thing that you, yeah. you've said to me? Because you've said two things that I hold dear in my life, and mm -hmm. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass on okay. this podcast or something you tweeted. You, you tweeted one time that, uh, the, something, and I'm paraphrasing, the things we say to ourselves, if anybody ever said to us, we would punch them out or something like that. And that just, like, what? That just resonated with me so much. I, I thought I was the only one who said that stuff to myself. Mm -hmm. And I've held on to that. And then this is more of like a stand-up thing, but uh, <laughs> same Laura Keitlinger facial episode. Uh, <laughs> you said, you said, oh, because Laura started going back out on doing stand-up again, and you're like, oh my god, I could never do that. And I'm paraphrasing you again. Oh my god, I could never do that. The things like I don't, the idea of going to a club 
and then changing your material to so the audience would like you mm -hmm. I, that, that uh, nauseates me and I've been starting to talk a lot about religion which I uh, truth be told I'm doing this to look for material honestly this is this is the reason why the, I did this about just to talk material. about it and yeah. I thought I could talk about it and maybe yeah. find some stuff and I'm not ready uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I've been talking about religion lately and I was going on stage at a casino in a very Trump Trump area and I'm like oh man they're going to hate this religious material and then I thought of what you said and I'm like well then why am I here and I went out and I did it and uh, thank you oh how'd it go it went great yeah it went great it's and it still does and of course uh, you know I have to, I'm a comic so I'm going to dig my hole I have to get out this listen this joke I, I, I've been doing has uh, the 7 o'clock show in Vegas got booed. The 10 o'clock show got an applause break. So it's so polarizing. That's, that's stand-up in a nutshell. Yeah. It's, that is stand-up, seriously. Religion is so polarizing. Yeah. And the, the fact that it got booed and I did it on yeah. the 10 o'clock? Yeah. Pretty impressive. And it's your, it's your truth. <laughs> Didn't bail on it. You know, I think the fact that you're also talking about religion, religion from a place of somebody who is deeply, deeply immersed in it in a child is so much different than somebody who never went to church and is talking about religion. You, you think know they'd what I mean? be more that's, forgiving, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, Sorry about that. I just wanted to tell you that because you're, you're doing, you're doing a you. great podcast. I'm a fan of it, and, uh, and thank I you. thank you for doing it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, read, me, read me some of your uh, fears. Fears? Yeah. I wrote this down earlier in a, in a pen that didn't work. Uh, uh, I'm afraid my son doesn't realize how much I love him. <laughs> I, I have a feeling he does. All I have right. a feeling he does. Every day I'm afraid of that. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid I said no to so many writing gigs that they're going to stop calling me. <laughs> and I think they have. Uh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Oh, this has to do with my child. I'm sorry. I'm afraid my son doesn't realize That's how much I love him. Beautiful. Okay, I'm afraid. Oh, I know it is. I'm afraid I have shitty handwriting. <laughs> Well, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid I'm not doing the work I need to be doing to keep my marriage going. You know, the fact that you're, and this is just not me making you try to feel better, but the fact that you're conscious of it mm -hmm. is super important. Okay. You know, I think the people that um, don't, aren't even conscious that they might not bringing, be bringing their fullest shot to the, to the table, um, would be the people that would need to worry the most uh, about it. That's just my my two cents. Yeah. Hope so. Um, can, let's do some loves. I don't know if I can read those. Yeah. Well, if you like, you want to just try to riff okay. riff on some. No, I can, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one. I love that you sat in the front row and uh, were there when I just had the idea. I just had this feeling like I have, I bet there's somebody that wants to say something to to Murray in the audience, and I loved that the universe put you in that seat and I love that um, the universe brought Murray here uh, tonight to share this really really important complicated topic this is the Lord's will <laughs> you know what I believe that <laughs> I, I, I said really it take do. it however you yeah. want to take it yeah yeah um, this is I don't I've never said anything like this before in my life but um, I love that you guys just let me talk.
That was really nice. And I'm, I'm sorry you went through what you went through, and I'm sorry your friend is going with what she went through. That breaks my heart. It really does. Remember when I was funny on Walking the Room earlier? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you love? Ah, what do I love? I love when my, said, my kid says, hey, Daddy, look at this. Oh, that's sweet. It's best thing ever. Yeah, and I bet he can tell that you are genuinely interested in what he did because I think a lot of us had parents that you just could tell that they just weren't really interested, and kids pick up on that, and Paul, that, that changes. Sometimes it's a pencil. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it means, Daddy, look at this, and it's not that oh. great. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me I was just a boring kid? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say you've been talking to my dad, but he died in 2006 Aww. from a broken heart. <laughs> oh, give me, give me uh, another love. Uh, I right, sorry, all these are about my kid. Uh, I love at a kid's party, um, they play or whatever, and then it's cake time. <laughs> like they work so hard at playing that now they, they now need they to get, get cake. cake. Yeah, and they all—I mean—they you just have the brattiest, shittiest kid. <laughs> But when it's cake time, man, they're at the table and they're just. <laughs> and then the cake comes out and it's just. Ha, ha, and, it, and it's my kid is so fucking cute when he does that. All right. Yeah. And how old is Frank? Uh, four and a half, four and three quarters, if you yeah. ask him. Yeah. Um, more? Yeah. You sure? I don't want to bore anybody. Mm -hmm. um, it's been one of the best episodes we've ever done. Oh, don't tell yeah. me that. Yeah. Uh, Let me finish with an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Appropriate. Yeah. Um. All right. This is kind. Of, I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I try to surf every day, and I love when there's an eight foot swell, and I get to meet my friends at Topanga. It's great. Wow. Because I only see them in the water on a big swell. So, yeah. And we're all just suiting up and hooting, hollering, and paddling out. And it's oh. over. We have a great day. And we don't see each other again until the next swell. That's great. And are you a longboard or shortboard? Uh, whatever the, the... The surf dictates. Yeah. You must be a good surfer. <laughs> no. I've been surfing about, I don't know, I guess closer to 20 years now. Um, I know what I'm doing. Oh, I, you know what? I, something happened this morning. I went down to the beach, and I, and I guess this is love. I love that my four-year-old is skateboarded on his own today. Oh, dude. That is awesome. Now, do you have a skateboard? Oh, yeah, right along with him. That's yeah, so, yeah. That's so yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. so beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, Murray Valeriano. Oh, thank you very much. Go listen to his podcast. It's called Road Stories. And you have a website, MurrayValeriano.com. Yeah, MurrayValeriano.com. Yeah. Hit me on Facebook and Murray Valeriano, Murray Valeriano Comedy, and at Murray V on Twitter, and I respond to every email yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. So thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you thank so you much for, for coming out. Thank you, Paul. What a great guy. What a great guy. I'm really, uh, I'm really enjoying getting to know him better. Um, where we have a date to uh, play guitars later this week, and uh, I can't, I can't wait. Um, don't disappoint me, Murray. Uh, 
Before we take it out with some surveys and emails, I want to uh, tell you guys about the Chicagoland Out of the Darkness Walk. I told you about it last year. It's a really, really important event that helps raise awareness and bring hope to those affected by uh, suicide and mental health conditions. Uh, when you participate in the Out of the Darkness Walks, uh, you are joining the effort with hundreds of thousands of people nationwide to raise awareness and funds that allow the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to invest in new research, create educational programs, advocate for public policy, and support survivors of suicide loss. That's something that a lot of people don't think about, is the loved ones that are left behind. It is a very, very confusing and tough road to navigate, and they need all the support they can they can get. As the leader in the fight against suicide, and thanks to walkers like you from, not not to be confused with walkers from, uh, oh, that's good, uh, the walkers from uh, The Walking Dead, uh, thank you, or the white walkers from uh, Game of Thrones. As the leader in the fight against suicide, and thank you to walkers like you from cities across the country. Uh, AFSP has been able to set a goal to reduce the annual suicide rate 20% by 2025. Uh, so it happens on October 15th at RV Field, which is in Grant Park in Chicago. It's uh, check-in and registration is at 9, and then the walking program begins at 10, and the walk ends at 1. So for more information, go to uh, chicagowalk.org. And uh, there's all different ways. You can walk, you can sponsor, you can buy stuff at the silent auction, you can donate stuff to the silent auction, uh, you can buy a t-shirt, you can help raise funds, you can spread the word, all kinds of ways. So go to uh, Chicago uh, chicagowalk.org to, uh, to find out more information. Want to uh, give some love to our sponsor, uh, Probimune. Uh, which is uh, produced by Young Health, and uh, it is a great product. Um, I know firsthand that having a healthy gut is so important to not only physical health but mental health because they're all interlinked. And uh, research suggests that up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut, and uh, that's why ProBimmune was developed. It's a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health, and it contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. Um, they use the industry's leading fermentation process, and that ensures that the largest number of good bacteria are delivered alive in the gut, because it's not about how many billions of bacteria are in a probiotic. It's about how many survive the digestive process. It's easy to use. You can travel with it. And really importantly, it doesn't require refrigeration. And right now, uh, you, our, our listeners can get the exclusive offer of a free bottle of Probimune when you sign up for automated delivery. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probimune for free. All you have to uh, do is go to um, probimune.com, and that's spelled P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use the promo code MENTAL at checkout. And you'll receive your first bottle of Probimune free, and you only pay six seventy-five in shipping and handling. And then each month, Young Health will automatically... automatically. <laughs> Why am I getting nervous? It's my show. God, I hope he doesn't kick me off his show. That a boy, Paul. Right into my clutches. 
Then each month, Young Health will automatically send you your supply of Probimune for $34.95 with free shipping and handling. So go to www.probimune, that's spelled P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E, and use the promo code dot com and use the promo code mental at uh, checkout to get your free bottle today we uh i want to kick off the surveys oh one more thing let me let me uh put my angst away for a second that that uh, i've got too much shit between the interview and the uh reading of the surveys and that i am not worthy <laughs> of you sticking around and listening <clears throat> to this. Oh my God, do I have fucking abandonment issues? Um, if you guys want to support our show, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. Uh, number one, you can buy uh, the great products that we advertise. Um, I don't accept every advertiser that, that wants to advertise on the show. So um, I don't, advertise things that I don't believe in. So try those products. That's one way to support the show. You can go to our website. You can make a one-time PayPal donation. Um, you can sign up for to become a recurring monthly donor. That's really huge. That's like the basis of uh, this show surviving is that. And you can do it for as little as five bucks a month. And it means so much to me when you, when you do it. And we need more money. We need more money. Um, you can use our Amazon link when you're going to buy something. You can also see the books we recommend. Um, you'll see the link right there on our homepage. You can uh, help us non-financially by writing something nice at iTunes, giving us a good rating, uh, and spreading the word through social media. All of those, all of those things greatly help. So uh, are you still there? Then let's do the surveys. I wanted to read this survey because... You know, the interview we just did with Murray, this, I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to read this. This is from the survey, um, the young male abused by older female survey. And um, you'll understand why I'm reading it after I read it. Uh, she calls herself ungrounded. And she is bisexual in her 30s and was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. And... She writes, um, a few years ago, when I was about 35, I was working as an EA at a high school. It's an EA. It's some type of uh, teacher, I believe, um, educational assistant at a high school. And there was a very neglected, very dyslexic boy that I helped out in one of the classes. He was in grade 10, so he would have been 15 or 16. Nothing physical happened other than me sitting close when I was helping him, but conversations were borderline inappropriate. I chalk it up to my effed up sense of self-worth and value, like I felt that just being kind and helpful but in a detached way was not enough. I had to make myself, quote, sexually available to show him he mattered or that it affected me negatively because I was not helping him with his work. Uh, to show him that, it, that he mattered or that... It affected me negatively because I was not helping with his work. Um, I don't understand the sentence. Uh, the teacher took me aside and told me that she thought he had a crush on me and I just played dumb and they had me help a sight-impaired girl after that. It was not normal. I did not tell anyone. I did feel a little attraction, I guess, 
uh, too, in retrospect, but I knew nothing uh, would happen. Uh, looking back, she feels embarrassment and shame and confusion at why she did that. She writes, it seems so lecherous and slimy. Um, do you feel any damage was done? Uh, damage was likely done with my reputation on a very small scale. I remember him totally losing, quote, interest after I was helping a different student in a different class, so it was likely barely a blip on his radar. radar. I found out later that he dropped out the next year because his dyslexia was so bad. Um, I understand, I think I understand after this happened, how men in their 30s and beyond can lust after teenage girls. There is a power dynamic there. There is a freshness and an innocence to young adults that is appealing. There is, for me, a faded reminder of the potent power I also had as a teenager over all men. And even though I'm no longer a teen, being around that boy reminded me of how I could pretty much talk a guy into anything, put up with anything, just because I was cute and paid attention to them. Uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, my dad once caught me looking at my girl bits in the bathroom vanity mirror. Uh, he didn't, uh, she writes, I was a nimble kid. He didn't touch me uh, in inappropriate uh, in an inappropriate way, but went all weird and grabbed me by the pants and underwear and pulled up and lifted me um, as he shook the pants hard. Um, giving me a very big wedgie, which I am sure he was doing intentionally. I remember, I was also maybe eight, uh, I was saying, what are you doing? And dad, he totally ignored me. Then he just left. He also gave us inappropriate attention, my sister and I, when we went through puberty, like make comments about how good we looked or that our bodies were ch changing uh, type of deal. I think in his very twisted thinking, he was building our self-esteem and confidence. Yeah, no. Um, I, I think that's, a form of abuse, um, looking at your child in a sexually judgmental uh, way, whether it's you're, you know, quote unquote, praising them or, or uh, cutting them down. Um, but I wanted to read her, her survey because I know there are other women that have those clearly, if you watch the news, that have those urges, um, like, like this woman did and like the woman who acted on those urges with with murray but i just wanted to say yeah the, you know th this survey here i feel like she came really close to that line but in my opinion it doesn't sound like she really crossed it you know she may have crossed it in in how she um felt about herself afterwards but it doesn't sound like she did anything to damage that uh that kid and what I want to say is this, this to me is a, an example of somebody healthily monitoring the feelings in themselves. And the last thing our society should do is say, oh, you're a, you're a disgusting person. That, that's not going to help that, that person deal with those those feelings. She didn't choose to have those those feelings come in there, but what she is doing is she is she scared herself a little bit and then wound up taking responsibility for it. And um and I think that's to be applauded. That's why I wanted to read that. I I wanted to show how she has the same instincts as that 
other person or the same urges, but what she did with them makes all the difference in the world. And um, I'm probably over-explaining myself. Eric wrote me an email, and he writes, uh, I just wanted to weigh in about the emailer who had premature ejaculating while making out with a woman. I was raised Mormon and remained abstinent until I was married. I did, however, masturbate religiously, haha, just about every day, until I decided to serve a full-time mission for the church two years. Uh, I stopped masturbating cold turkey the entire time. When I returned home... Um, Actually, the way he returned home was he just stroked his dick a couple of times and the ejaculate uh, took him cross-continent. Uh, that may be the dumbest joke ever recorded. When I returned home, I immediately became involved with a girl who had previously been sexually active. We would make out hardcore and she would lay on top of me. Even though our genitals, um, even the thought of our genitals close to each other, albeit through clothing, would make me come the best orgasms I've ever had. She was aware of this, and the only shame I felt was that of behaving unchastely. She never judged me and probably felt proud of the effect she had on me. Anyway, thought this might help your listener know he's not alone. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, so much of it is, can we find a, a, a partner that that works with, you know, whatever engine it is that, that we have? Uh, you know, like the previous survey that I read, if, you know, if she can find a, a, a partner who will maybe do age playing, you know, role playing, or somebody's a teacher and the other one's a student or whatever, I mean, that's a great way to embrace that side of ourselves instead of shaming it or acting on it in real life. Call me Kate, uh, writes about her codependency, tap dancing to multiple conflicting, ever-changing rhythms. Snapshot from her life, having no control of my hands when I get tired or stressed or anxious and realizing I've picked off a huge scab while at work and blood is running down my face and everyone can physically see how fucked up I am. Man, sending you some love. That has got to be, that has got to be really shitty. Um, probably drinking wine. Uh, she struggles with anxiety and uh, alcoholism, and she writes, um, I've been scanning crime maps, news bulletins, police Twitter accounts, and calling hospitals for hours in between frantic texting and voicemails. He's at band practice. It often runs late. I hope it's an adult and not your child, because if that's your well, either way, I hope you're getting help for the anxiety. But if the, if that's your child, that can that can really wind a kid up. You know, an anxious an anxious parent. I've interviewed so many people who grew up with really anxious parents, man, and those kids just absorb that anxiety. It's just like a, you might as well just be, you know, have a big neon sign every day at the door that says, uh, "Be careful! The world is an incredibly unsafe place." And even though it is, there's also, it's not all unsafe. Apple Teeny a Day uh, shares an awfulsome moment. This mor uh, The morning my mom died, I was sitting in a family member's car in silence until I suddenly blurted out, when does everyone start bringing the food? That's awesome. Thank you for that. Red Flag Factory writes about his depression. Like, I'm holding it all inside, but I don't even know what it is. God, that is perfect. That is perfect. 
about his anger issues. I don't have anger issues. It's just that everyone else is playing dumb all the time. Snapshot from his life. I often work myself into a rage at the state of the world before I go grocery shopping, so I'll give myself permission to buy cigarettes on the premise of, oh, fuck it all. Uh, any comments that make the podcast better? Something more specific about self-defeating personality disorder or something about self-medicating slash self-soothing for anxiety, especially good drug use, that's in quotes, uh, which enables you to go out and achieve uh, versus, quote, bad drug use, which enables you to remain in your safe, in your stale comfort zone. You know, my thought about that is um, something a lot of... Uh, addicts and alcoholics know that something that once enabled us to be productive and alive and vibrant and conversational and still have the rest of our lives function can change over time. And that relationship is like a door that closes and can never be opened again. And so, you know, quote unquote, good drugs can turn into bad drugs for for some people. So I don't I think it's too broad of a, of a topic for me to be comfortable to to say it. Um, but it's really up to each person to to say, you know, is this is this drug degrading my life more than it's you know giving me hours of feeling inspired or alive. Emotional donor writes about her anxiety. In order to alleviate my incapacitating anxiety, I work out for at least two hours every day only to leave and become anxious that it wasn't enough. Snapshot from her life. Frantically trying to clean up after my volatile and alcoholic mother because I'm pretty sure other people don't care for blood stains from her self-inflicted nosebleeds, nor for her asinine excuses that are scattered all over. They would be uncomfortable, so I should take care of that. How embarrassing for them. That is, that is great. That is, I hope, I hope you're doing something for, for codependency. To get help, that is such an insidious sickness because it, it it wears the camouflage of uh, I'm being helpful, you know. And when and when we're being codependent, we we can't see how controlling and manipulative and bossy we are. Maybe I should just speak for myself. Nina writes: um, If having your middle-aged dad run off with a woman younger than you is so common, it's a cliche, why can't I find a single book support group or person to talk to about it? That is a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I think the place to start, though, would be a, um, you know, some type of codependent, uh, you know, maybe 12-step group um, for you know, children of dysfunctional families or something like that. And then and then maybe you could find one that's more um, focused in after going to that one. Because, you know, the thing to me that a parent that does something like that, it's really not that much different than the parent who's an alcoholic. Because the thing that they both share in common is they're so into their own shit and soothing themselves and escaping that they're not really paying attention to what people around them are feeling or experiencing. And so it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter what vehicle they're using to escape and neglect people around them. It's still neglect. It's still apparent is is not showing up for you. 
Um, this is an awful moment filled out by Garden Variety Perv. And he writes, All I can say in my defense is that everyone does weird things in private, and that's especially true when you live alone. It's impossible to, to act. It's possible to act on any odd impulses you have because there's no one there to know about it. In my case, about 90% of those impulses involved inventing new ways to masturbate. How did I know that that was... <laughs> I knew that that was going to be as soon as he said weird things we do when we're alone. It's like, yeah, there, there's no way it's anything other than masturbating. Anyway, continuing. One evening, I thought it would be a good idea to fill my underwear with a pound of pennies, nickels, and dimes and sit down in the bathtub. I'm not, not exactly sure what my motivation was, but the effect was about as uncomfortable as you might expect. Uh, maybe you wanted to uh, imagine what it would be like to have been rich in 1300 uh Although that probably would have been a little hotter in 1300 because the coins would have been bigger. Uh, he writes, it was, it was underwhelming. It was not what I expected. And I stretched out a good pair of underwear too. Uh, to dry out my coins, I spread them out in a single layer on my unvacuumed carpet and left them there for a week. When you live alone, there is no one to complain about stepping on wet pennies. After that week, I scooped them up, put them in a blue plastic cup, and forgot about them for several months. In late December, I needed all the money I could find. Um, on the uh, on the last payday before Christmas, I was the last person to the bank, and I suddenly did not uh, have enough money in my account to cover the January rent check. Um I found an emergency $20 bill from my car, um, and the next day I headed uh, to deposit all my spare change. Um, I handed over the plastic cup to the cashier who took the coins to the counting machine in a back room. She was gone for an unusually long amount of time. Eventually, my teller came back with my empty cup in a Ziploc bag with some coins in it. These wouldn't go through the machine, she said. There was a Canadian dime and about a dozen coins stuck together with green copper rust. Um, the woman continued, do you have a dog? No, I said. I had no idea what she was talking about because the machine kept getting jammed with these curly black hairs. Are you sure you don't have a dog? Uh, I was looking after someone's cat this summer. Maybe that was it. Without saying another word, she finished the transaction and handed me my account statement. Not my proudest moment, but at least my rent was paid on time. Fantastic. She had to know, because no dog hair looks like she... I, I've never seen a pube, and, and it, it's just... You know a pube when you see it. It was like the, like that uh, senator who who talked about pornography. He couldn't define it, but he knows it when he sees it. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by LSM or ISM. I'm not sure. She is bisexual. She's in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. She writes, there were waves of dysfunctionality growing up, but now my family seems to have found a stability born from struggle. Now, that's interesting. 
Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. A guy I didn't know in Italy grabbed me while I was buying a suitcase from him. He went in for what I thought was a kiss on the cheek, and he ended up grabbing me to him and trying to kiss me on the mouth. Ugh. I ended up leaving quickly, and he tried to follow me for a bit. I wish I had stayed to yell at him or demand my money back, but I was taken aback and scared. He was much older than me. Uh, she's never been physically uh, or emotion. Uh, she's never been phys- physically abused, but she has been emotionally abused. Uh, darkest thoughts. Every so often, I consider suicide or running away. Not totally unexpected with my depression, but not welcome either. Darkest secrets. I shoplift constantly. Honestly, I don't feel particularly guilty about it, but it may be because I justify it by saying it's a big chain store. It's a victimless crime. It's only one or two things, etc. I don't know. It's probably bad. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Uh, I don't think I like you, and I don't want to be around you anymore, but I don't know for sure. You know, my thought when I read this was, it, you, don't, you don't ever think that about somebody you like. I, I got to say, that's 99.99% that you don't like this person, but you're afraid to not be around them anymore because you're either going to feel guilty or they're going to make a scene or something. But uh, I would try not being around him and see. Anyway, uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being seduced by someone much, much older or seducing them myself. I feel myself sometimes feeling things when thinking about sex that has an element of surprise or seduction if one of the parties shows an initial lack of enthusiasm or has to be convinced. I know this contributes to rape culture and represents some very dark things that are real and happen to people and affect them, and I hate myself a lot for craving that imagery on some level. And I'm really glad that you filled this out because I want to say that does not contribute to rape rape culture. And I would bet that that is your brain's way of trying to make sense of rape culture. Um, So stop beating yourself up. If you are just keeping it within yourself and your sex life or between you and other consenting adult, it does not it does not contribute to that. That's my that's my opinion, but I feel very, very strongly about it. We, we have spent enough time shaming ourselves for fantasies that don't hurt anybody. This is an email I got from Sorry for Being Sorry. And um, she writes, One of the biggest challenges for me is navigating how to come to terms with the fact that I am the daughter of a narcissistic mother while simultaneously having a, quote, normal relationship with her. It is a weird position to be in when I know that she cares about me, but I also know that a lot of what she does is emotionally harmful to me. Even at 28, I'm still concerned far too much with what she thinks and how my decisions will affect my relationship with her. I turned into so much of a people pleaser that I sometimes question what decisions I have made for me versus what I have made for others. She doesn't see anything wrong with her behavior either, and you can't really express an opinion that's different from hers without it being some sort of big issue, ending with her storming off or crying, and then me having to bite the bullet and apologize. As a result, I say, I'm sorry to everyone ever about everything and anything. Sometimes I think I'm apologizing for existing in the first place. 
I wish I could tell my therapist more about this, but saying it out loud makes me feel like a bad daughter because she's still a part of my life. And I know I have a relatively good life. It's just that I'm sick of the emotional baggage. My parents adopted me via Catholic Charities at six weeks old after trying for seven years and having three miscarriages. I'm an only child, but I desperately wish I wasn't. If my mom had more kids, maybe we would all share the burden of fulfilling her hopes and dreams. Instead, it's all on my shoulders. And uh, and I want to read what, what I wrote back. Um, I said, you just described my mom. Uh, I encourage you to talk about her with your therapist. Uh, it does not make you a bad daughter. Your mom has trained you to believe that having your own opinions makes you a bad daughter to her. When in reality, she is being a bad mom and not encouraging her daughter to become her own individual. She's treating you as if you are a garment there for her to show off when you do, quote, right, and to try to change you when you do, quote, wrong. Neither are unconditional love. They made the decision to adopt you. They chose you, and with it, the responsibility to do what is best for you. And she is failing. I'm sure it's not conscious on her part, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you start speaking your truth. My therapist once said to me, what would happen if when your mom cries because you're not giving in to her, you let her cry? I said, well, doesn't that make me a bad son? And my therapist laughed and said, no, your mom is an adult and it's up to her to find her happiness. It's not her child's job. So the next time my mom used the tears, we were talking on the phone and she wasn't getting her way about something. I said, you can cry, but I'm not changing my mind. Her tears stopped immediately. When I hung up, I felt like I was eight feet tall. Individuating from your mom will be long and hard, and she will fight you every step of the way. But ask yourself, would I be acting this way to my daughter? Then don't apply a lower standard for yourself than you would for your daughter. Some people who are sick, like your mom, will never change, but some do. And most of them don't change until people in their lives set boundaries and give them consequences. Part of becoming an adult means living in a world where people are mad at us. Once you experience sticking to a boundary and letting someone pout without you caving in, you will see it doesn't kill you. And it just might help your mom to see she can't play that game with you anymore. Might not, but either way, you're taking care of yourself. And who knows, maybe your mom is somebody that can change. I hope she, I hope she can. Uh, and then I asked her, have you read the book Silently Seduced by Ken Adams and Running on Empty by Dr. Janice Webb, who was also uh, a guest? Uh, you can listen to her episode on this podcast, which is amazing. And her book Running on Empty is, is amazing, amazing. And it's about emotional neglect. So um, thank you for that, that talking about that really important subject. And, you know, the sad part is is that manipulative parent can't even see what they're doing. You know, they're they're not... And I kind of regret even using the phrase bad parent because they're not all bad. You know, there was... In my relationship with my mom, there were some great things about her. And that's what made cutting off contact from her so fucking hard. You know, that's what broke my heart is there are fond memories. But the part of her that was sick, I just couldn't... I couldn't take anymore. Um, and we'll never know. We're never going to get an answer by trying to change them. All we can change is the way that we react to them and try to do it in a loving, respectful way 
respectful both to them and to us. Uh, this is a happy moment from Robot with Human Hair, and he writes, I actually went to my first support group today, moved out of state a month ago, and currently have no job, no insurance, and no therapist, and I was anxious as hell about sitting in a group therapy session, but I actually talked, and it felt good. Plus, I was able to pimp the podcast as one of my supplemental bits of therapy. One of the people in the group subscribed to the podcast on the spot, so you're welcome, Paul. Thank you. I'm very flattered when people recommend the, the podcast. Um, it is a little uncomfortable sometimes, though, when I'm in the middle of casting them to hell and I find out that they just subscribed. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. Um, and she doesn't list anything that has helped her, but I wanted to read this. And she calls herself Lonely Soul. And she writes, I'm struggling with depression, severe anxiety, a fear of people in general, self-harm. And I also, I had also been sexually and mentally abused by a school counselor when I was 15 to 16. This has really fucked me up because now I can't even bring myself to go to a counselor or talk to anyone at all. Um, uh, what has helped you deal? I, st I still haven't really dealt uh, with them, so I don't know how, and I can't get myself to trust anyone. And I just wanted to plead with you to find someone. It's going to be scary no matter who you reach out to, but I think a great place to reach out to would be the Rape and Incest National Network because it is largely staffed by fellow survivors and they know what it feels like to take that frightening first step of speaking your truth with your legs buckling and your voice shaking um so r-a-i-n-n.org and please please get help you're you're so worth it you're so worth it and we're we are so much more than our trauma and our stories but if we don't ever process that stuff we never get to find out all of that great stuff that's inside us and i know that sounds fucking cheesy and new agey but it is the truth it is the truth um same survey this was filled out by lavender girl and uh, her issues are depression anxiety and anorexia and she writes running has helped me tremendously i started running as a way of dieting and i quickly learned that in order to run faster and be stronger i need to eat more and be healthier anytime i feel overwhelmed or that i might be falling back into a bad mindset i go on at least an hour and a half run i feel so magical afterwards almost high as i'm dripping with sweat feeling like i just shed some much needed skin uh, what have people said or done that have helped you with your issues? When I'm having a panic attack, my partner comes in and just holds me. I feel so much relief when I just lean into him and sob, knowing he isn't judging me and that I don't have to be alone during this. That is so beautiful. That is so awesome. And I love, too, that, um, that there's no... Um, she's not having to put anything in her body you know i kind of regret that i'm one of those people that has to put something in my body to uh and do all this other stuff as well i also have to exercise but god if you can if you can cope with um with doing that that's awesome what i'm basically saying is i cast you to hell for being better than me um and i cast your boyfriend because he's he's holding you Ugh. 
Both of you sicken me. Man Tits McGee, Esquire, writes about his alcoholism. If I finish that bottle of vodka tonight, then I won't have to worry about drinking it tomorrow. Oh, you're my new hero. Anger issues, breaking the shit out of my $200 tennis racket instead of losing to a novice. If I don't have a racket, then it's technically a tie, right? You are my new best friend. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by My Silence Betrays Me. And uh, her issues are uh, ADD and anxiety. And a snapshot from her life, she writes, At this very moment, I'm typing this in my phone in the work bathroom. People exhaust me so much that I need five minutes in here after any small talk. I struggle to stay in the conversation and then need a break when I succeed. Coworkers think I'm stuck up, but really I'm just anxious and can't communicate like a normal human. Uh, if you haven't listened to the episode with Cynthia Pena yet, uh, she's a social worker and she has the exact same thing. She basically just described what, what you described. And oh my God, do I get that needing to shut the stall door. It, is there any better feeling than shutting a stall door and you're the only one in the bathroom? It's like you just know for the next five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. No, but it's, it's like that solo ride in the elevator, you know, that we talked about in last week's episode. It is just, it's, it's like your own little hot air balloon. I just, I also love after you've had to talk to people all day, when you get in your car after work and you shut the door and there's that car silence. Oh, it's like you're, it, it's like I could feel my body change. You know, it's like my brain lays down and sucks its thumb. It's, oh, it's such an amazing feeling. I went camping actually glacier climbing one time in uh, uh, Washington State, Mount Baker. And uh, our base camp was above the tree line uh, on some glaciers. And so there's, at night, you don't hear, if there's no wind because there's no trees and there's no um, real animal life around you, it's pure silence. And I had never experienced pure silence before. And it was mind-blowing. It's like I felt parts of my body like like releasing and letting go. It was almost like my <laughs> my ears were giving me a massage. It was crazy. But uh, I, I totally get that. And another one I get, uh, this next survey totally rang my bell. It's filled out by uh, Ryan John, and uh, his issues are anxiety, depression, and OCD. And his snapshot from his life, and he goes, I wake up to go to the bathroom around 11 a.m., and during the few seconds it takes to return to my bed where I will sleep until 3 or 4, I am happy. Oh, dude, that is the best. That I set my alarm an hour before I know my real alarm needs to go off because I want to get up and experience the, oh, I don't have to get up yet. It's stupid, but it's that is how delicious that is. And especially after you empty your bladder. Oh, my God. Uh, JF writes about his depression, like I've been stabbed in the chest but still have to smile and be pleasant. Yes. A snapshot from his life. My mother once told me stories about her sterile, abusive ex-husband who had one testicle that never dropped. I was seven. 
Wow. Wow. I say as if my mom didn't confide in me at seven about her shitty marriage and how she wanted to leave my dad and how we were all bastards and she should leave us. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by unfazed and abused. And she is, she's 15 years old and uh, she's raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. I would say worse than that. Um, um, did I say that she identifies as bisexual? Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was very young, another girl would convince me to do things to her genitals under the covers, and she would also do them. It was like a secret, and I'm still terrified that my mother somehow found out as she often came in the room while we were hiding under the covers and doing these things. Another thing is that after hearing so many of these podcasts, I have learned about covert incest, and I'm beginning to wonder if my mother has been doing this to me. She bathed me way past when it was appropriate, and uh, I would be interested to know what what age uh, that that is, because it is amazing the ages that people will convince themselves is is still appropriate. And as I became aware of my own body, I began uh, to get more and more uncomfortable with her touch to the point where I cannot stand it in the slightest. And when she sees me even partially uncovered, I feel like dying. She likes to do things like barge into my room while I am changing and grab my stomach and demand I kiss her constantly. She is always around the house in little clothing and likes to massage herself in the middle of the living room. And I feel so uncomfortable around her all the time. It has gotten to the point where I haven't made eye contact with her in years. I used to think I liked being alone, but in reality, I am always craving company. It's just that I love the feeling of being at home when my mother isn't that's not some stuff happened and I don't know if it counts. That's abuse. That's abuse. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry that you've experienced that. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused. My father is an emotionally abusive my father is emotionally abusive, and while I haven't lived with him since I was 11, I'm still in contact with him, and he is the reason for most of my problems. He has severe anxiety and anger issues, and my only memories of him from when I was younger are sleeping or screaming. I'm still afraid of being around him to this day because I never know when he will be triggered, and I feel like I will never be able to resolve my issues with him because when I try to bring them up, he explodes and denies everything and blames my mother for, quote, putting lies in my head about him. A clear example of my childhood is one time when I was taking a shower while my parents fought. I was always behind the scenes, making myself invisible. And I remember this time being particularly scary because my mother was screaming back and crying hysterically. She didn't cry very often. At one point, I heard a loud smash and my mother came running into the bathroom and locked two doors behind her so he couldn't get in. She didn't have to say anything and she still believes and she still denies he ever hit her to this day. But I knew what he had done. I think I was seven years old at the time and I remember being wrapped in a towel, consoling my mother in the middle of the bathroom floor while she sobbed. And for some reason, I just felt uncomfortable that she was crying around me. I was completely disconnected from the situation. How could you not feel comfortable? Uh, not, not feel uncomfortable. You were the, you were her parent at that moment. You know, a parent with boundaries would, would have um, not exposed you to that. Oh, it's so sick. I mean, uh, if you haven't read Silently Seduced yet, please do. Any positive experiences 
with the abusers. I've only seen my father about four times in the last five years, which makes it easy to forget what he is like. I still hope that he loves me and that I have a, quote, real-life dad, but I know that he's a pretty shitty person, and every single action has spoken louder than his words. I'm still so confused about my feelings towards him. I'm very hostile towards my mother, although everybody tells me I should treat her better and that she is a great mother, and wow, has she been through a lot. But nobody understands that I can never forgive her, and I myself still don't understand it because I don't know exactly why, but all I know is that I never feel safe around her. Don't ignore that feeling. That is your body trying to protect you. That is your nervous system trying to protect you. Um, and it's when you've been brainwashed since you were a kid to be the parent to your parent, it is a hard thing to undo. It is a very, very hard thing to undo. But you can do it. And that's why support groups are good, so good because they can help you get in touch with what it is that you want and stop doing what it is you think you should be doing. Um, darkest thoughts. When I get very angry with people, especially my mother, I imagine myself violently beating them and leaving them to die while I walk away calmer than ever darkest secrets. I am a bulimic in recovery, and although most of my friends know, I am still terrified that my family will find out and in turn cause more anxiety that will cause me to vomit even more. At my lowest point, I asked a friend to accompany me to a clinic because my anxiety was overwhelming, but he had been pressuring me to get help. He became evasive and suggested someone else go instead of him and would ask me what I thought would come of it. I am still ashamed and glad he doesn't bring it up. Also, when I was 11, my mother moved us out to a town in Buttfuckville. I heard prices are great there, though. Uh, with her new boyfriend, who was the most vile person I had ever met, and he was very abusive towards both of us. He would make us feel guilty for absolutely everything, and even though I barely spoke, he made me think I was a spoiled brat. He would make us stay at his house and watch mind-numbing television until 2 a.m. on school days every single day. And if I complained, I was told to shut up because I was ungrateful to him. He gave my mother a monthly salary to live with, so I just slept on his sofa while him and my mother did disgusting sexual things on the other side of the sofa, um, things on the other sofa, and sometimes fuck in the other room or in a sleeping bag near me on the floor. I'm so sorry that you have had to experience this. This is so fucking horrible. I told nobody about this at the time, and nobody knows to this day. My best friend friend whom I tell everything to didn't even know until recently that I had lived in that town for a year. This is a deep, dark secret because since the moment we boarded the plane out of that town, my mother has never mentioned it again as if it never happened and I'm afraid to bring it up. You know, as I was reading this, I, I was forgetting that you are 15 years old and um, this is, I'm not a therapist, so I I am reticent to tell you any kind of course of action to take, but I can tell you this much. If somebody from child services, if you just handed them this survey and said, I filled this out, um, you're, you would be taken away from your mother. And I don't know if there's somebody 
else that you could live with? Because your dad sounds like a, a piece of work. Um, but I wonder if there's a, um, a relative that you trust that you could live with. Um, or, you know, maybe you just want to ride out the next three years that you have to live with her. But um, this is straight up sexual abuse. And by the way, the, the um, mothers having sex like feet away from their kids. This was brought up in one of my support group meetings last week and like four guys in in the meeting, three three guys, um, all had had that happen to them. It's... uh, Anyway, and uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to read your your sexual fantasies um, aloud. Um, but I just, uh, you have shame about them. Um, and I just want to tell you they're normal and you have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and they're, it's really common what it is that you're ashamed of. And you sound like a good kid who's really hurting. And uh, we're just sending you some some love You know, it really sucks that you are stuck with no one to advocate for you. But um, I think contacting the Rape and Incest National Network, they'll know some good resources um, to to put you in touch with. That sounded like a fart. That was the that was the paper. Actually, if I had to really rip one, I think you guys would would uh, still listen. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to let my father know the consequences of him neglecting his daughter for so many years. I would like to tell him how suicidal I was when he shipped me away to another continent with my mother forever, and all I wanted to do was come home. He assured me that he was looking for a larger place that I could live with him, and I held on to that so as to not kill myself. But needless to say, he never did anything of the sort. Um, what if anything do you wish for? I wish to believe in myself that I can per- so that I can pursue my dreams of being a musician. Uh, I feel too inadequate and I'm afraid I will achieve nothing in life. Even though I've always been told how brilliant I am, I just feel useless. You are so not u- useless. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel anxious but relieved to say all this, even if just to a screen. Well, I can tell you every person listening to this podcast is witnessing your pain and sending you some love. And if if we could tell you in person you're not alone, we would we would do it. Um That's one of the things that's hard about um about the survey sometimes is I I want the person in the room so I can uh Look them in the eyes and tell them it's going to be okay. You're going to, it's going to get better. And you know, as I'm re- reading your thing, where you're talking about, you know, wanting to be a musician, you have any idea how many amazing artists had had childhoods like you described, and they turned their pain into art, and they got out of those environments, and you know, it it. Just be patient. Just be patient. 
Before you know it, you'll be 18. Um, that was a hard one. That was really hard to read. It's so much easier to read something when somebody is over 18 and... This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Hello Mania, and she writes, My bipolar disorder is an awfulsome moment in itself. My boyfriend runs around the apartment with me when it gets to be too much, and my energy is off the charge. charts. This past time I fell and was so irritated by my falling that I blamed him for running too fast. When we went outside later for a run, he was barely moving, and he made a joke that he was going, quote, too fast for me. He immediately regretted it when he realized this joke would only irritate me again. When we came back into the house, instead of running because I was having a fit, my alarm on my phone went off that I set earlier during my episode of Mania. It was titled, Give Your Boyfriend a Fucking Break. There was nothing I could do but laugh at this situation and myself. Bipolar. Man, I fucking hate it. Have I told you how much I love my disorder? <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, hibernation enthusiast writes about uh, a snapshot from their life. Today, I wistfully thought to myself, how nice would it be if I could take some time off to just cry and sleep all day? Fuck. Catching myself daydreaming about this shit-tastic scenario as if it was some kind of awesome vacation destination really made me stop and laugh at myself. I take life way too seriously sometimes. Dude, when I read this, I was like, or this is a woman. I can call women, dude. Um, I thought, do it. That's a fucking vacation. Why? What, what is the matter with that? That, to me, even sounds, uh, you know, that's your going to... In South Pacific uh, for a couple of days. That that could totally recharge your battery. Seriously. Do that and then write to us and let us know how it goes. Um, anyways, to make the podcast better. I know you have t-shirts coming. How about some limited edition vibrators slash fleshlights engraved with Go Fuck Yourself? And I thought of the most fucked up thing after I read this. Uh, that the vibrators would say dad on it and the fleshlights would say mom. V gives us a snapshot of her life. For the first time ever, I finally said aloud, I don't believe in myself. In many ways, it was the saddest day in my life, even though it really shouldn't be. But I needed to finally have that moment to actually make steps towards changing my future. It's going to take time. But I think I'm finally ready. That's one of the most sublimely beautiful things I've I've read. It's like it doesn't matter what our truth is as long as we get in touch with with what it is, and that that makes total sense to me. You know, it's like when we're afraid, we never go, "God, I'm so fucking afraid." You know, we go, "Okay, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." Maybe we need to say I'm terrified before we can say, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to talk to myself. You guys go uh, busy yourselves. Mommy Drearest writes about her love addiction. You'll only be out of town for three days, but I'll struggle to be a normal functioning adult until you return. Also, I abstain from laughing because you're the only thing that makes me smile. Um, 
Snapshot from her life, my husband had shared with me in the past that he believes he's bisexual. As a sexual abuse survivor whose abuser was her father and a known bisexual, this revelation was extremely triggering. I have tried to be very supportive, but when he shared last night that most of his early sexual experiences were with other boys before we met, I felt so much shame about myself. Growing up in an anti-gay religious church doesn't help either. I want to be supportive, but after hearing that, I feel myself shrinking away and I feel scared. I'm also afraid to recognize or voice my feelings about it because I feel like I'm supposed to be supportive. On one hand, I feel like I'm not giving myself the okay to be upset. And on the other hand, I feel like uh, what was said doesn't affect me and it isn't about me. He said he is dedicated to me and loves me, so I don't know what my problem is. P.S. Shaming myself hard after rereading all I've written. You know, I, I think it's awesome that you're being honest with yourself about what it is. And my thought would be, why don't you share with what you're feeling about this, at least for now, with somebody else that you can trust? Um you know, somebody who will keep it confidential if your husband doesn't want that known. Um And... And then when you can kind of get your thoughts together around that or maybe just process it and feel differently afterwards, then go to your husband and, and have that conversation. Um, but yeah, you're entitled to feel the way you feel. Struggle in a sentence filled out by emotional shit stain. Uh, about her depression. Happiness is so fleeting and unreal that it's like waiting 35 hours in line for a roller coaster that lasts five seconds. Her anxiety, going into cardiac arrest and being asked, but have you tried not thinking about it? Alcoholism and drug addiction, destroying my body for a false sense of saving my mind. You are really good at these. Uh, OCD, how the fuck am I supposed to be a good employee when my stapler isn't exactly parallel to my tape dispenser? Dermatillomania, crawling out of my skin one step at a time. That's genius. About being a sex crime victim, this one has hit me so... I had to read it a couple of times because I didn't really get it at first, but she writes, it was just the tissue for you to blow into. And at first I didn't understand that. Maybe I still don't, but the way I interpret that was that she she had to wind up using a tissue that she had on her, you know, to blow her nose for cleaning up after something, which just the thought of, you know, that's that's something that has always just blown my mind is, you know, when somebody leaves the house with something, um, you know, intended for one use, and then it, it, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's like when you're something, you get horrible news on a sunny day, and people are outside laughing and playing, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, the, the breadth of human experience and emotion is so gigantic. And when it can be boiled down to a single item, you know, the banality of a nose run versus the horror of that. 
Snapshot from her life. I was sitting in class listening to my professor drone on about statistics and probability when suddenly my heart dropped. Let's look at the probability of fatal car accidents at age 18 to 25. I instantly thought of my big sister and her boyfriend who had died in one six years earlier. Looking down, I saw most of the skin around my fingers was bloody and shredded. The memories started flooding in and all I could see was the horror of the past. I spent the entire class period trying not to have a panic attack, cry, or get blood on my assignment. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That was deep. Uh, this is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by uh, adorable and socially inept porcupine. Uh, his issues are autism, depression, anxiety, and bipolar. And what helps him? Taking the occasional vacation to the other side of the country for a change of scenery. Playing tug of war with my dog. I fucking love that. I, you know what I like to do is get the... I put one end in my teeth and uh, and then Ivy gets the other end and uh, and we have at it. Uh, filling the glass all the way to the top with ice and sipping a favorite beverage out of it. Building elaborate houses in Minecraft out of TNT and then lighting the flint and reveling in the chaos. I love it. I love it. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Manic at the Disco. And she writes, uh, Visiting my mother in Colorado for the first time since my hospitalization for bipolar 1 disorder, and all she can do is try to convince me to get back together with my ex-husband. She has no boundaries. Now she is telling me that even though I am no longer attracted to my ex-husband, I should just fake it and pretend I am and force myself to have sex with him because he's a good provider and it's better for your kids if we're together, etc., etc. You aren't thinking of your future, she says. Maybe you just need to go to acting school so you can be a better actress in the bedroom holy fuck how awesome would it be to have the fake orgasm awards i don't know how you would get the footage for it but that would oh that would be the that would more people would watch that than the debates oh i'd like to dedicate this to my relatives and my boss for sapping my energy uh, I'd like to uh, thank our dogs for barging in the room when I'm about to come. And uh, most of all, I want to thank my fumbling, selfish husband for his unwavering emotional distance and never flossing his teeth. And then finally, this is from uh, What Has Helped You. And this is filled out by Donna. And her issues are grief, depression, fear of losing people, and fear of driving people away. And what has helped you deal with them? I always had these internal conversations where I imagined what I'd say and what my friends would answer. Then when I met them, I became angry because obviously they did not remember the conversation that happened only in my mind at all. As I was too scared to, uh, as I was too scared to all openly, um, I think there's a word or misspelling. I wrote letters uh, to my two best friends and let them read those letters. Um, by doing this, I could relieve myself from all my negative thoughts and my friends did not have to react immediately. Um, 
After reading my letters, my one friend was devastated that I felt this way and convinced me that my fears of losing her were totally unnecessary. My other friend opened up about herself and said she was always too scared to tell me the things because she thought I had too many issues on my own already. So all in all, it helped us to be more open and more trusting towards each other. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. You know, the the only thing better than one person seeing that that light of uh, of hope is when two people get it at the same time. That those me too moments, fuck, those are the best. Those are the best. Well, I hope you heard something tonight that helped you. I hope if you're you're out there and you're stuck and it's just there's a wall between you and and getting help, something something helps you. Um get up the nerve to do it because it's never as bad as we make it out in our mind. And um, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did um, because I would be dead if I hadn't. And I'm glad I'm alive because I like my my life and I like what I do. And if I'd been short-sighted and uh, when things were really bad, um, I would have never got to experience so many amazing, amazing things and meet so many amazing people and feel such meaning and purpose in my life. And uh, you guys are such a big part of it. And um, just remember, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.